We dumped some of their kind there. What? The joints. They left the weight outside. We don't want them. Hello and welcome to the Vintage Rebellion Podcast. This is episode 81. Can I have a P for Palatoy, please, Bob? Joining me as always is Peter Davis. Good evening, Pete. Hi, right, Richard. What's going on? Well, Pete, even though we've just had a little bit of a debrief beforehand, uh, you think you've read my show notes here, and clearly you haven't because I've not shared them with you. Uh, they're now offering COVID vaccines to the over 65s. Have you had your letter yet? I have, Richard. I'm going to get mine done soon. Can't wait. Can't wait to be jabbed with uh, whatever it is, some reprogrammable device that will track me for the rest of my life and stop me doing things. Next on the list is Andy Spoons Norton. Good evening, Andy. Evening, Richard. Andy, you've been posting some old photos recently. So do you have any photos of you and Star Wars toys from your younger days? I do. I have um, have two from uh, a holiday in Spain. So I I took a few figures with me and some uh, some kid who lived next door to the villa we were staying in he uh, he swapped me uh, my pristine lando for a dog chewed jawa and i thought that was a good deal it shows how clued up i was so have you got a ppb jawa then a pp <laughs> uh, could well be actually yeah he did live at... well it's long gone now but it had um, its entire midriff was just teeth marks no cloak no gun just chewed and i think he even told me it was ben kenobi i guess i hadn't seen any star wars by then so this uh he, yeah he told me it was ben kenobi is very rare so i swapped him this uh, this brand new lando for dog chewed jawa mm. pbb or not it could be very rare jawa you could you could have lost out on hundreds eh? yeah it's good evening jason smith Good morning, a man, man. How you doing, Rich? I'm doing fine. Now, Jason, I'm just thinking about right? We're not far off from Easter. Now, in modern times, you can get Star Wars themed Easter eggs, right? But can you think of anything specifically Star Wars related from your youth relating to Easter at all? Eh? Anything Star Wars related to Easter? Yeah, because obviously we had the Christmas, and then obviously well, well, every birthday we all got Star Wars stuff. You know, you've got your you've got your Mayf movie releases. You know, but anything around the Easter time? Nothing comes to mind. No, I just thought that the idea as well. You you don't pick up on that one. And finally, we have Andy Preston. Good evening, Andy. Good evening, Rich. How are you doing? I'm doing fine, Andy. You've got ten pound in your PayPal account and can buy one loose complete figure. Which one and why? Uh, £10, that doesn't buy you very much these days, does it? Think cheap, think cheap. Let's go with uh, C-3PO, because he's just the best action figure out there. Okay, I expect a little bit more of an effort from you, but never mind. 
Right then, guys. So let's move on over to the introduction then. So I've got a question for you all, which probably two of you have read um, and done some preparation work on it. But my question is, with the recent firing of Gina Carano, and I've got no idea how to pronounce that, and I'm not really interested, for her Twitter comments, how do you think Disney would have coped with the Twitter habits of the following stars at their worst? So, Peter, I'm going to come to you first. I asked you to think of Carrie Fisher. Now, obviously, we know that Carrie was, you know, she didn't hold back very much on Twitter at all. Um, and she probably got away with a lot of it because of her status. But if Carrie Fisher was hammering Twitter, um, you know, when she was a, a younger woman dealing with you know, New Hope and Empire Strikes Back and all that kind of stuff and Disney were in charge, how would they have handled her? Well, as you said, Rich, you know, they didn't anyway. So I don't think... Well, I think when she was younger, and she'd been doing this, um, it's quite easy to kill off a character, isn't it, when, you know, in their, in those those days. Um, I'm sure they could have they could have chopped Lear off early if they really didn't like her. I guess with Gina Carano, which she didn't... Uh, you know, she wasn't really that much of an established character. So, um, you know, and she'd come to the end of her run. I think uh, if you, she'd done it after New Hope, I think they would probably. Well, I don't know actually. She was kind of Hollywood elite, wasn't she? From a from a Hollywood elite family. So I would say the fact that she was tweeting anyway, and out the people you're going to ask, I was probably not the only one who actually followed her on Twitter all those years ago. And she she wasn't that bad actually. She was just she was very much on the side of the left anyway. I think it's because Jenny Carano was on the side of the right sometimes with some of her comments. Um, I think she would have got away with it. Andy Preston, I've asked you to consider Dave Prowse and whether his antics would have worked on Twitter at all. Dave Prowse, well, he he loved to have a drink with those gentlemen of the press, didn't he? Um, he liked to uh, cozy up with the journalists. He liked to have a chat, leaking plot points, supposedly. Um, so I think Dave would have been uh, great on Twitter. I think we'd have learnt all the stories, all the secrets from the movies uh, within five minutes. Then there's the old Dave Prowse is Darth Vader. Uh, nobody else getting a look in. Uh, it's Dave or nobody. Uh, yeah, I, I think if Dave had been on Twitter uh, back in the 70s and 80s, um, it would have been just one outcome. He'd have been hauled into Gary Kurtz's office, finger pointed, Vader styly. You're fired. Well, especially with some of his comments about George Lucas as well that led to the celebration banning, because uh, that was a long time coming. Indeed. Jason, interesting one for you, um, because I've got no idea if Harrison Ford is actually on Twitter or not, but Harrison has also, you know, he's not been too complimentary over the years, has he? Uh, how do you think Disney would have dealt with him? Well, I was just doing some research on Harrison Ford. He, he did famously say on the, the, the Kimmel show last year, he called Donald Trump a son of a bitch, which um, I, I, I commend him for. Back in the day, yeah, I mean, he's always kind of famously had a kind of, you know, kind of, dislike for Star Wars, which he's kind of played up to on various chat shows. There was one where he was given a very large Lego model of the Millennium Falcon, which he kind of purposely dropped. And it smashed all over the floor and he was, you know, very apologetic about it. But um, back in the day, you know, he, he did have a he did have an on-set affair with Carrie Fisher. Whether Disney would have approved of that, um, I, I, I don't know. But, I mean, he's, he's the A-list star, so... My feeling is even if they had found out about his his affair with Carrie Fisher, they would have just gone, well, you know, he's, he's the money. What can we do about it? So I think he'd have got away with it. 
And Andy Spoons, I feel sorry for you because I was struggling with somebody else to come up with that would have been intriguing. Um, so eventually I settled on Kenny Baker because I think some of his antics back round about the times of Jedi in particular were interesting. So hmm, how would Disney have dealt with Kenny? I think he would have been all right. I, I was looking into him today. Um, the fact that he was invited to the screening of The Force Awakens, uh, unfortunately he couldn't go because that was, that was when he was uh, getting a bit ill. Uh, just before he passed away, you know, he he was still in with Lucasfilm to the end. Clearly, he his big thing was the the spat with Anthony Daniels, which Anthony Daniels you know, doesn't really go into detail, which is quite quite commendable. But I can imagine the two of them on Twitter, maybe Anthony Daniels tweeting something because he does he is on social media quite a lot, and then Kenny kind of making the odd snarky comment. I can I can see that happening. I think there were the odd wild parties behind the scene uh, and it's it's interesting actually because he was quite good pals with Dave Prowse uh, Dave got him into the convention scene and uh, one of one of Kenny's quotes talking about these conventions is saying it's like a party we meet up in the hotel have a meal get drunk and then meet the punters the next day with bleary eyes so I, I can imagine Kenny the night before a few beers in him tweeting uh, tweeting about Anthony Daniels all night and then being in trouble about it in the morning yeah, it's really telling on that Bring Back Star Wars episode with, um, oh, I can't remember the name again now, Justin Lee Collins, was it? Just, yeah, Justin Lee Collins. Yeah, because that was pretty harsh, wasn't it, uh, the way that those two went at each other. Uh, I was actually considering Anthony Daniels, but he's such a, you know, a goody two-shoes as far as Disney's concerned, that would have been too Oh, boring. I don't know about average shit, he's a bit uh, naughty online. He has he's been a bit naughty, yes, but he definitely tours the Disney line, though, doesn't he? Yeah, now, now, so he, knows now he knows so there's odd. no more, He's he's come out and mentioned things aren't as good as he thought they could be but not only that he was doing a lot of uh trying not to reveal stuff but teasing people by saying and this is happening giving these little cryptic clues and driving people up the wall it was uh and then he got stopped doing it because it was it was uh, too yeah. obvious but he was uh remember he was 75 yesterday he was yeah happy birthday anthony birthday Rich, I have had an evening drinking with Kenny Baker. I can tell you two things. Firstly, he can pack away a drink. He could drink me under the table, which is uh, quite impressive for a little guy. But also, yeah, he does love a story and he doesn't hold back on Anthony Daniels. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> does he like a half at all? Just out of interest? <laughs> he drinks pints. <laughs> well, let's move on to the latest purchases. And so, uh, Peter, I'm, I'm just looking at your list here. You've had a candy month this month. So, go on, tell all our listeners about the latest purchases. I've bought stuff. I've been I've been on a frenzy, Richard, an absolute for, for me a frenzy. I've almost got oh my list is almost half of Jason's, which is like uh, quite amazing. You're missing stuff uh, off your list as well. Yeah, I'm just writing some in now actually. Yeah, I I I just yeah I had a bit of cash sent from Christmas and a few things came up I wanted, so I went for it. But I got some good bargains. I thought uh, I got a Darth Vader Empire Strikes Back carry case. It is missing one strap inside, but I have. I managed to locate one um, in the States, so hopefully that will be coming. That will complete it. That's good. Got it for 20 quid. I was quite happy with that. I picked up the Star Wars monthly comic, so I've done that run. Just uh, a very uninteresting comic, got to say. And I've got an INT4. I realised I didn't have an INT4 mini rig, uh, which is kind of weird. I thought I had one. I thought I stored it in my ATAP, but I didn't. So I bought one. A really nice one, actually. Again, 15 quid bargain um now this this is mr preston's fault um as he's as he knows i was after possibly after a cloud city playset, but I never thought i'd 
they had a thought out for one uh, but one came up loose and I was quite surprised maybe people don't want it because it's cardboard or I got lucky because it's halfway through the day uh, but it was just the playset with the pegs uh, the condition was alright guy wanted 120 quid posted thought that was decent actually and uh, bought it so I now have many best bin freeze chambers and uh, sort of playsets in that, that sort of era uh, the only one I need now is the vintage collection, the, um, the micro collection one. That's it. And I've got all the modern ones and all the vintage ones. I, th- I think Spoons has got a spare one, hasn't he? Has he? I hope so. I, I've got a battered loose one. Ooh, um, battered loose ones. Yeah, but that, but it's, yeah, that's in the kids' play box. You can come around and play with them if you want, Pete. <laughs> yeah, I think that is. Um, I've also got um, a nice uh, Empire Strikes Back figure poster, you know, with the... Um, the Atta on one side, and then all the figures and play sets and ships on the other side. So uh, I was quite chuffed for that. I was I got it for about a tenner, I think. The same guy, actually from, I got it from the vintage guy in Leicester, from Joe at the uh, Leicester Vintage Toy Store. Um, he's very active online at the moment. Um, obviously can't let anyone in his shop, but most days of the week he's having a vintage sale. And uh, not always Star Wars, other things. Some real cracking stuff's come up recently. Um, so if you're a bit bored online and you want to want to have a um, a claim sale of of some of the stuff like you know He-Man, Turtles, all that sort of stuff from the 80s, um, comes up every day. So uh, and it's cool and, it, and these prices are actually very reasonable. So uh, um, what's, what's that on? What's that on Pete? So is that on his own website? Is that on Facebook? Yeah. So if you go onto Facebook um, and put in the Leicester Vintage Toy Store. Um, there'll be a link to a daily sales page which you have to join and uh, we let you in obviously and then about sort of about, about midday most days they'll have a bunch of all sorts of stuff on there and, I mean I've seen all sorts of stuff come up so just go and join in join it but I tell you what I've never seen a site that claims so quickly I think the average is about a minute well <laughs> I'll be on that tomorrow yeah, I think he's got some more Star Wars coming up soon. He had a he had a bit of a run of loose vintage figures, some complete, some not. Lots of last seventeen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had a yak face, and he had all sorts on that. Yeah, the yak face went for about two sixty. You know, immediately. So uh, the prices are for the top stuff not ridiculous, but um, like I said, I've got that carry case in him. Bit of a bargain, I thought. What about your non-birthday present? My non-birthday present. Oh, what your your little things you sent me. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, cheers, Rich, for the uh, thousands and thousands of vintage figure stands. Thousands. Um, as, yeah, there were literal thousands. I had, um, I think most of my figures already have stands on, so uh, I need to buy some more figures, Rich, to put put them on. Yeah, that was the that was the thing. Like it was, you had to buy more figures to put them on. Variants. Yeah, I'm not getting down variants. That's just absolutely ridiculous. If you're into variants, then you know. Anyway, yeah. So quite a list. Obviously, that doesn't include all the random modern stuff like Amidala things and oh just hundreds of things constant constant you know t- more tapes loads of more audio books oh it's just crazy my room is just so full of Star Wars and it's, in, it's insane uh, I think we'll head over to Jason next and so Jason what kind of month have you had? Oh it's not been too bad so if you've uh, got to go and put your dinner on now would be a good time to do it um, yeah so I've got a first issue poster for Palatoy for one of the fold-out catalogues. Uh, I've already got two of those up on my collection room wall, but I want another one 
a nice minty one to put in my Palto scrapbook. So I've got that. I've added to my Clipper ESB card back run. Um, this is the card that has um, the white box with the Dutch writing in the top left-hand corner uh, at a kind of slant in it. Haven't added anything to that run for a number of years, but I've got myself a Power Droid card back, which is very nice. Um, so I still need about 10 of those to finish the run. And they're all really hard, so it should probably take me uh, years and years and years to do that. One of the things I said I was going to try and do is to fill up my Helix pencil topper display box. Uh, I've got another three pencil toppers to go in there, one of which is pink. So I've got a pink one, which is uh, quite nice. Um, apparently, uh, those are quite rare. Um, on the, the thread where I limelighted it, Jason Joyner came along and said that there'd been a number of boxes full boxes found back in the day and of the 20 odd boxes one of them had pink pencil toppers in it because um, the dye that had been put in, there hadn't been enough dye put in so it came out pink instead of whatever colour it was meant to be. So I'm quite happy with my pink R2D2 pencil topper. On the HCF front I've got uh, the pencil Star Wars pencil tin for tag pencils, so the tag pencil is like, it's not a normal pencil, but it's got this kind of thing on the end with a dangly plastic bit that kind of waves around. I don't have any tag pencils yet, so I've got an empty tin. I've completed my second set of Star Wars rectangular scented erasers with the Chewbacca that I was missing. But I've also picked up a couple of group lots late, lately, so I'm kind, of, I'm kind of duplicating a lot of this stuff now, so I've got quite a few spares of the centered erasers and the loose erasers and stuff like that. I also managed to complete my set of domed pencil sharpeners with the grey stormtrooper ones. There's six of these in the run, and I've got all six, and that's meant to be quite a, quite a difficult run to complete. I'm quite pleased I've done that. And I got a couple more mini memos for my box of mini memos, which I'm trying to fill up. So um, I've probably still got about another two or three layers of that to go. Um, on the Marvel front, I've got Return of the Jedi issue 74 with the Vader and Yoda stickers. So that's uh, complete with the gift now. Issue 89 is the one that came with uh, a dinosaur flicker pick. Now I've got three issues of that, at which point I discovered that you could get all eight in the set. You can buy on eBay for, you know, for about five, five quid. So I've got a set of those as well. Now, the question is, a lot of them that come just have the tape and the little card is missing. So can I just buy those and insert the missing cards in and say that I'm done? Or is that kind of cheating in some way? So I'm undecided about that. But the very nice thing about that is it's a Kellogg's promo. So um, I did some kind of research on that. And there's like a nice ch shot I've got of the, the Kellogg, back of the Kellogg's Cornflakes box with um, all of these flicker picks on it. And there's also a very, very, very funny um, TV advert from back in the day, which you can, it's on YouTube, and if you just, YouTube, and if you just Google for uh, Kellogg's Cornflakes flicker pick dinosaur, it will kind of come up, and it's a nice little advert kind of talking about the promo for that. I've got my, I've got my first, First Star Wars issue of Spider-Man and Zoids, the one with Vader on the cover, issue 15. So I've just got to decide whether I want to go for the full run of the last Star Wars stories that there was in Spider-Man and Zoids. And there's another seven issues that I could possibly get. I haven't got any of those yet. I'm still undecided about that. 
On the Panini front, I've been trying to fill up my sticker box. It's very hard to get the full packets. I've been getting kind of open packets and some stickers and trying to put those in, but I've still got, you know, 130 to fill the box up, so I've got lots to do on that. On the Adidas toiletries front, I've got the Ewoks foam baths and soaps, which means I just need the Ewoks character soaps and then three of the bubble bath bottles, and I'm done on that. And then the last thing I've got, uh, again, um, Mark Daniels is another uh, another custom effort, has uh, come up with a, a shelf taker for Palatoy, which I've got, which is very nice, and it comes with a couple of stickers. So uh, another another fantastic effort for Mark Daniels on that. So. And that's everything, so go and check your dinner, make sure it hasn't burnt. Well, I've seen your list there, uh, Jason. It's actually quite short for you this month. I thought you were going to have at least double than that. And then I scrolled down and saw Andy Preston's list, and I thought, oh, God. So come on then, Andy. Let's go through all the things that you bought this month, or the last six, yeah. by the looks of it. You sound so interested, Rich. Right, let's uh, let's let's go. I'll uh, see if I can make you nod off again. Um, right, number one uh, is a bundle of fan club paperwork. This is a bundle that I saw on eBay uh, from the States, um, and uh, I think it was before Christmas that I ordered this, and it's finally arrived. So there's all sorts of banter tracks and letters and correspondence and things like that in there. But the bits I wanted particularly, uh, there are three of the four early fan club le- letters. Now, those are really hard to find. Um, so that's three all in one go. Just need the first one of those now, if anybody's got one of those. Uh, there was also the early fan club uh, triangular Star Wars sticker. And another nice bonus, nothing to do with the fan club, but the little sticker sheet that came with the early bird kit. Um, so we're very, very pleased to have that. Not had one of those before, so that uh, is added to my little early bird set there. I got a, um, a store display header card for the British Factors stickers. Uh, this came from Jamie Woolard via eBay. Uh, the Factors stickers, these are the round ones in quite garish colours, bright oranges and blue and white and yellow and so on very very hard to find i've got one sticker which i picked up off ebay but the header card i presume this would go into a plastic store display to uh, tuck in the top it's uh, a it's it's a rare piece i've not seen one before so very pleased to have that next up a force beam i've wanted one of these ever since i saw these on the back of star wars weekly back in the 70s uh, I managed to pick up one in nice condition with a sticker, uh, which I wanted, a good condition sticker. That was on eBay. Uh, it was sold as not working, but I managed to get it going again. Uh, and then um, very luckily, um, I was tagged in a post uh, for somebody selling the Hilt Guard, which was the bit that I was missing. Um, so uh, Glenn Howard on uh, Echo, thank you very much for selling me that. That completes my force beam. So, uh, yeah, very happy to have one of those. Also via Echo uh, from Mark Butterfield, I've got a Star Wars pillowcase um, in a sealed pack. This is by House of Ratcliffe, one of the early um, 1978 um, bedding range there. Also off Echo from Kevin Alton, I've got a uh, retro collection, loose Luke Snowspeeder figure. Uh, Not strictly vintage, but I do like these uh, retro collection vintage figures, so uh, picked up a loose one to go with my carded. Uh, from Phil Heeks, I have bought a Lion's Made Empire Strikes Back Tauntaun wrapper, um, the lolly wrapper. Um, last one I needed for my set of Star Wars and Empire lollies, so good to complete that run. Star Wars Bootleg Mirror next from Simon McCohen. 
Back in the 70s, 80s, there was a range of bootleg mirrors produced in the UK, um, sold through fairgrounds and market stalls and things like that. Uh, this is a particularly nice one. Uh, it's got Luke in his flight suit with the droids and the Star Wars logo. Uh, one that I've been chasing for a little while, so delighted to pick that up. A uh, couple of upgrades, a loose diecast X-Wing off eBay, Clearo R2 and 3PO soaps also off eBay. I wanted those because every single one of the 3PO soaps I've bought today has had a foot broken. So uh, uh, this is an intact C-3PO soap. Uh, a promotional video sleeve for the Ewoks Caravan of Courage VHS release uh, with promotional only not for retail stamped across it a HCF stationery pencil top gift set um, so this is in a square shaped box it's got various items of Return of the Jedi stationery in there uh, but uh, what's particularly unusual about this one is that it's got a mini memo which is not Return of the Jedi it is Master of the, of the Universe so you've got He-Man there with his sword and the Masters of the Universe logo very very odd and it shows what uh, pretty poor quality control HCF had back in the day I do owe an apology to Jason for that one because apparently I outbid him on eBay for that without knowing it so uh, sorry Jason in the last three seconds of the auction yeah uh, yeah, uh, I, I sniped you didn't I don't give away a secret <laughs> To be to be fair, all, all my all all the things I buy on eBay, I've been in the last three seconds on anyway. So, join the club. Now we know your secret as well, Jason. There we go. So yes, may, may the best man win, and the best man did win that time. But uh, after that, sorry, Jason. I've got next one. I've got is a thanks, Jason, um, because I bought a an HCF fancy set, one of the big box stationery sets. Um, which had a couple of bits missing, and Jason has very kindly gifted me the Wicket Eraser to complete that fancy set, so delighted to have that one finished off. Um, a 1984 Airfix product catalogue, uh, with Good Ranger Star Wars featured in there. Uh, the Mark Daniels Palatoy shop display set, the shelf talker and a couple of stickers, um, since Jason's got lovely work. Thank you, Mark, for those. And last but definitely not least, um, you've all heard about my coat that I acquired just before Christmas, the Empire Strikes Back, um, Fincer Norwegian unit coat. And I have got a Norwegian unit balaclava cap to go with that. Um, so this is a knitted cap. Um, it's got uh, a, a sort of peak on the brow and it's got on the front of it the ski pier logo ski pier were the company that produced the crew gear uh, for empire uh, most of these um, balaclava caps had a star wars patch affixed over the ski pier logo uh, a few didn't and this is one of the ones that didn't apparently it was uh, it was one of the ones that they acquired early before the patches were ready and there we go that's my list, Rich. Wake up, Rich. Wake up. Wake up. Does, uh, you know, does, does a balaclava uh, cut your what? face? Uh, it can do. It can. There is a hole for your face, but yeah, if you if, if you put it the wrong way around, it can cover your face quite nicely. I particularly like the way that you sniped Jason there on the EB auction. That's that's always going to be a plus one. So well done, that Andy. True vintage rebellion style there. Come on, then, Andy Norton. Let's move on to you next. I don't think you've been as uh, prolific this month. Uh, yes, uh, I've not been very busy this month, but I'm very happy. Um, I set myself a target to pick up the uh, the 12-inch set loose, although I, I found out just after saying that on last month's podcast that Rich had sold his entire collection. So uh, <laughs> thanks, thanks, Rich. Uh, so this uh, this month I picked up Boba Fett and C-3PO. I already had C-3PO, so he went back on, on eBay, and actually I'm amazed. I put him on uh, Facebook, no interest at all. 
eBay. He went for a very good price, so yeah, that's the place to sell. But anyway, I bought um, Boba Fett. He's in great condition. He's missing the 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 tip of his rocket, and of course the Wookiee braids. So I'll keep my eyes open for uh, for those to add to him. But very pleased with that. The other thing I got a bit bit down uh, Andy Preston's line. This this was the the space battle scene fan club photo from Empire Strikes Back. It's a Star Destroyer eight by ten photo. And what I hadn't realised was it's um, it's the same image as what's in the in the centre of the Empire Strikes Back storybook, which I still have of my uh, childhood one of those, but reversed for some reason. So I don't know which one was the the original way round, but that was uh, an interesting choice by someone to do that. And uh, I also picked up a set of sealed read-along records. So they're the little seven inches for Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi from Benavista Records. Uh, so they're not to be played. I've already got the, the Empire Strikes Back one open, if I ever am tempted to hear the story. And uh, and lastly, like the others, I've also picked up one of Mark Daniels' shelf talkers and, and the stickers, and that's on my shelf. And you know, really quality item, that. So uh, who, who needs a vintage one when you've got those? Mm, yeah, so we've had a great mix of uh, items there, lads. Well done, well done. What about you, Rich? No, and I don't think I'm going to be picking up anything for a long time, actually, because I've sold my house in the last ooh, 76 hours or so, and I've got a lot you of sold, packing up to do. You sold your house? Yes, I've got a lot of packing up to do, I've got a lot of moving to do, I've got a lot of things to sort out, and buying vintage Star Wars is... Um, way down on my list at this moment in time, so... You could buy a lot of vintage Star Wars for that, Rich. Yeah, I could, I could. Come on, Pete, I think it's time for a swap shop update. So for those who didn't listen to the last episode, can you just give a very, very, very quick overview of what the swap shop's about and what's the update on it? Right. Uh, wasn't met with great enthusiasm, but hey, we start small. Um, so Vintage Rebellion Swap Shop, it, what we're doing is we're, every month we are putting an item up. We want you to offer something to swap for it and we'll keep going up and up and up, see what we can get. Uh, with one item um so we started with a very generous offer from mr jason of a bib fortuna pencil topper and uh we want someone to offer you know an item to swap for it didn't have a great deal a few a few little sort of like oh i'll i'll, I'll kind of get involved when it gets a bit more tasty um there's probably not a lot of people up there wanting a slightly beaten up pencil topper and uh, we did have one offer uh, which I thought was pretty good. So um, rather than debating it, I think we just accept it, uh, which was a Return of the Jedi comic badge. So there was a badge given away with the first edition of the UK Return of the Jedi comic. Nice little red badge. And um, I've got a Return of the Jedi number one comic, which I can throw in as well if someone wants that. So that's the next item. So uh, thank you, Jason, for your lovely item. We can send that away to my mate who uh, put his stuff forward. He was having a big clear out of all sorts of stuff. So but, um, in December, when we've got when we swapped our way up to obviously, you know, a rare 12 back or the vintage Death Star, you know, something like that, uh, we'll sell it and give all the money to uh, Click Sergeant Charity, which is a charity that helps kids out um, who have cancer. So they, they go around and kids who need needs maybe hospital uh, hotels um, just their family needs some sort of extra support that's what they do i mean it's a fantastic charity go and check them out click sergeant.org.uk absolutely fantastic um so yeah guys um let's let's really push this month because i think this uh, item the badge and comic is a really good one i think there'll be some people out there who would like that so uh, yeah let's get promoting this item so uh, short and sweet rich 
short and sweet. Yeah, absolutely. It's certainly a good start. And to be honest with you, I didn't think we'd get any response. So, yeah, I'm pleased with that, pleased with that. So let's see how we'll go from then on. Right then. Uh, so Pete, I think... No, it wasn't Pete, actually. It might have been Andy Preston. Um, somebody brought forward an idea anyway to basically... Uh, I don't know who come up with the title, The Boat of the Posers. Battle <coughs> Royale with Cheese. Other titles are available. Uh, so the action figure face-off. So you were all asked to have a look at a figure and to present a discussion for no more than, I think we said 30 seconds to a minute, on each of your figures. And I would judge which one I thought put the best argument forward for the best figure. Um, the first range of figures are pretty meh. So we've got uh, we've got EV98 with Pete, we've got 8D8 with Jason, we've got Animal Act Bob with Spoons, and we've got C3PO, which I'm assuming is Solid Limbs, with Andy Preston. Um, so Pete, you're the first name on the list there. I want you to wow me with your EV99 facts, and why is this the best action figure? Well, Richard, it's clearly out of this four... It's head and shoulders above all the figures, not just in things it offers, but the fact that it's obviously quite a tall figure. So, you know, sits in a rather large hand rather nicely. So uh, it's it's probably the best droid figure at the very, very least. Absolutely outstanding. Um, obviously, Return of the Jedi, Power Force card and tri-logo. So it has a coin, um, which some of the others of my competitors this month do not have. Bad luck, boys. Um, so it came out as debut card was the Power Force card, and obviously in our European areas, as Trilogo did not come out on any Canadian kind of cards. Um, it was also packaged with a man, a man, a man, a man, a man, and Barada in the second edition of the Return of the Jedi Sears exclusive Jabba the Hutt dungeon action playset. And I didn't know this, and here's a new one for me. It uh, came out in a Sears eight pack in those mail away packs. So. That means you can find it in a baggie, I believe. Um, I know nothing about baggies. I've seen some pictures on eBay. So there must be. So, all right, let's talk about the figure. Figure, like I said, it is pretty tall. It may, I think it may be the tallest action figure, I think. Um, so that's got, uh, so that's, a, that's a great little tick in its little box for you. And um, it also has, it also has movie accurate, not very good limbs. Um, so if you see Eva 99 in the films, she's got very, very wobbly arms. And apparently that is part of her design feature uh, that she wasn't really made for anything physical, just pushing a few buttons. So uh, her, the fact that her arms do fall off is actually movie accurate. Now, also, we have probably one of the best features on action figure. Her mouth moves so you can uh, pretend and do her voice. Uh, she has more lines than Boba Fett in the film. And uh, you can play along with that and actually get her speaking. So, you know, um, you can do all those wonderful little lines. I can't remember off the top of my head the lines. Maybe someone will come in on that one, or we, or Richard will play this a bit later on. So, uh, yeah, I think it, I think it might be the only action figure apart from the Rancor Keeper that actually has a moving part, as in you know an action feature of the head. So there we go. You can get them all speaking, right? Um, and I think there's a pretty good if you are collecting even nine to nine, but if you are a Richard Marquand collector, obviously uh, Richard Marquand actually uh, did her voice in the film so uh but to add to that and this, this is going to outstand all of you also if you're a mark hamill collector mark hamill also voiced even 99 in the mandalorian so uh, there we go so you can you can add those two people if you're collectors of those two people so yeah i think that is probably about it 
Well, Pete, you know, you put forward a really solid argument there until you mentioned that a figure based on a woman had a movable mouth. Uh, you're sort of like, oh, I don't know, I'm, I'm less keen now. Jason, 88, come on, put your best case forward to 88. Well, 88, I mean, what's not to like? Uh, not only has he got the shortest uh, character name there, three characters, nobody can beat that. It's a palindrome, so it reads, reads the same way front and back. Easy to remember. Obviously, he's uh, he's the best torture droid there is in Star Wars. He's probably the only torture droid there is in Star Wars. And he was famous for dangling gonk droid, power droid, upside down, and then sticking red-hot pokers onto his feet repeatedly and not saying a thing. Now, that's him in the movie, strong silent type. As far as um, collectibles go in, in the vintage line... Um, if you're into a if you're into a kind of uh, character focus you wanna you wanna complete for the next podcast, eighty eight is your man because uh, he, on the can of card he's got like two seventy seven backs, two seventy nine backs, offer and offerless, probably a Canada card or two there. There's a tri logo card, seventy B and a seventy C power toy card, and probably a weird European one with a UFO punch on it and maybe some other bubble types. And if you really want to push the boat out, you've got Lily Leddy. And that's your lot. So I think you can get the entire run in about less than 10 cards. So that, that's, that's got that going for it. And uh, the figure itself, it's like it's one of these things you have to wrap the thing in cotton wool because it's tall and wiry and will break if you look at it. So it's one of those things you've got to treasure. And that's about it for it now. As I say, he's you know he's got the shortest name out there. He's a three character name, quite easy to remember. Shortest character name of any Star Wars figure, and he reads the same front and back. Eighty-eight, eighty-eight. What's not to like? Right, let's move over to Spoonson. Um, okay then, Andy, Admiral Akbar, the most fishy Star Wars character there is in the vintage line. Take it away. Well, I'm going to start with history. For generations, children have listened in awe to tales of Admiral Horatio Nelson, HMS Victory, the Battle of Trafalgar, Lady Hamilton, Kiss Me Hardy. Today is the age of Admiral Akbar, the Radus, Starkiller Base, Kiss Me Holdo. It's a trap. It's an amazing figure. It's permanently doing Churchill's V for Victory. Have you ever noticed that? Two fingers, Victory. He's got authority. He's got power. He's got a swagger stick. What other figure has a swagger stick, a stick of power? The figure is incredibly accurate. He's got his special military vest. He's got a natty stripe on his trousers. Bulging forearms, just like Popeye. He's powerful. He's got eyes on the side of his head, ever vigilant for danger. He's wearing shoes. How many figures wear shoes in the Star Wars range? And there are 23 variants of Admiral Akbar, according to Wolf's website. 23 variants. He's a great character. The car back, he's so relaxed. He's sitting in a chair playing Game Boy. He is brilliant. And who did Kenner choose when they wanted to advertise their brand new film, Revenge of the Jedi? Which free figure would lure the kids in? They chose Akbar. He was the free gift. And I know when I saw his fishy face for the first time, I knew the film would be a winner. Kenner needed to sell its Y-Wings. Who did they put piloting it? It was Akbar again. His powerful arm raised, calming those around him. Medine, Lando, Nee-Num, they're looking on in awe. He is brilliant. And as befitting a man of his status, the Tri-Logo Y-Wing is one of the rarest ships out there. It's special, just like Akbar. And if you still don't like him, 
get some garlic butter, fry them up. He's Mon Calamari. Delicious. I rest my case. That was outstanding. Shoes. Shoes. Absolutely brilliant. Shoes might have swung it. Jason or Andy Preston. Come on, Andy Preston. We'll go through with C3PO. Sell the golden rod. C-3PO Rich is a god amongst action figures. Literally a god if you are furry and happen to live on Endor. Now, come on, the finish of this figure is enough to win today. Just look at him. He's bright, shiny, beautiful gold, not painted, but vacuum metalized. He will stand out in any display, gleaming and golden. And what about his sculpt? It's fantastic. Not like the chunky removable limbs version. This figure is slim and perfectly proportioned with wonderful detailing. 3PO is one of the first 12 figures, the originals. He's on the early bird certificate package. He was around way before the other tat this month had even been thought of. He's also got that bit of exclusivity. He only appeared on Star Wars and early Empire cards before being replaced by his break-apart cousin. And what about his card back? Isn't it fantastic? The gold figure set off beautifully against that dark blue background with the image of 3PO in the Death Star control room. A really cool photo. Now, Rich, that should be enough to convince you that he's a worthy winner. But there's more. 3PO has got some of the coolest foreign variations of all. There's the Takara version with significant sculpting variations, a fat head, and a screw in his back. Then there's the glassly Brazilian figure, a wonderful dull gold finish, and the bootlegs, in particular the Hungarian and the Uzai, with not one but two cardback variations for double the pleasure. And there I rest my case. Rich, you've got an easy job this month. If he falls for that, then I've got a bridge to sell you. Well, yeah, you're right, I've got an easy job this month, so it's between two... Mm, I like the palindronic name, but honestly, all the rest of it was kind of so amazing because there's so few of them. So I think that's going to discount that one as well. Two really, really good arguments put forward, though, by Pete and Andy Spoons. I do like Pete's... Uh, by the way, all four of you have done some wonderful research into that. That's some great coverage there. But I do like Pete's argument about it being a tall figure... I like the fact of the movie accuracy, and I love the fact that it appears on so many different things. But Andy Spoons' shoes, I think that's going to swing it. And what I really liked as well is the fact that he mentioned it, it advertised the B-Wing. I mean, that's brilliant. And the fact, obviously, that Akbar was the face, uh, sorry, the Y-Wing, and, and Akbar was the face on some of the cards. So I've got to say, I'm going to, a real shock here, but I'm going to give this one Andy Spoons Norton on Admiral Akbar. Well done, Andy. That was a wonderful defence. Let's move on over to the quiz, and I think it's Andy Preston with the quiz this month. Take Andy. It certainly is, guys. Right, hang on to your hats. This is going to be a good one. This quiz is about the colours of Star Wars. Now, what I would like you to do is to identify Star Wars action figures from my description, and I will be using colours only. Oh, I'm going to describe each figure, starting with the colour that's used the most in that action figure's colour scheme, then the second most, and so on. So this is the colour of the figure and the clothing that it's wearing, not the weapons or the accessories, all right? So capes, yes. Blasters, sticks, etc. no. And this is from the full 96 run, but you'll be pleased to hear there are no droids or Ewoks figures in there. I go for that. So it's an individual game. You are all taking turns. Uh, after each colour I name, you can have a guess. 
if you want to. Uh, if you get it on the first colour, you get five points, four on the second colour, and so on. If you are right, you get the points. If you're wrong, you are frozen out. And I hand it over to one of the others for one point. So as an example, and you can all play along with this one, this is just the example. If I said orange as the main colour in this figure's colour scheme, then black, then white, then flesh, then red. Pete's already got it. It is indeed Luke X-Wing. Right, so we're going to go in order. We're going to start with Pete for no good reason. But uh, uh, Pete, are you ready for your first action figure? No, but go on. Right. Okay. So your first color is bright green. Oh, do you green. want do you want to guess or do you want to hear the second color? Uh, well, I'm gonna have to have a go on that, and I, I'm gonna say bright green. I'm gonna say Greedo. Pete, you are correct. That's it is great. Greedo. That is five points to you, sir. Okay. Next one is Jason. Jason, your first color is white. Oh, racism. Well, thanks for that. White is the main colour in this figure's in this figure's colour scheme. This is, these are picked at random, by the way, so there's no favouritism going on here. Right. Um, would would you like Would you like the second colour, Jason? I'm going to guess. I'm going to say Stormtrooper. You are incorrect, Jason. Oh. So I can throw it over for one point. Uh, shout out your name, guys, um, and first one to get it is the uh, gets gets Spoons, points. Spoons player. Uh, no. Shall I get Pete, right next? Peter, Stormtrooper. No. Oh. You, you might as well hear the other colours, Rich, yeah? Pale yellow. Uh, dark grey. Orange. And flesh. Cloud Car Pilot. Correct, Rich. Okay, Spoons up next. Are you ready, Spoons? I'm ready. Okay. Mid brown. Mid brown. Well, that's um. That's a few. Now is it down a bit? The main colour scheme. Mid I'm gonna. Brown. I'm gonna have a guess. Okay. That. Is it Jawa? It is not Jawa. Okay, so we throw it open. Does anybody want to guess, or shall I keep going? I'm gonna have a yes. guess. Chewbacca. That. Uh, 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 yes, Jason, you are correct. That is Chewbacca. That's one point to you, sir. Okay, and we are now on I'd, to. I'd say he's more of a darker brown, personally. But there you yeah. Go. Well, the next one, was, next one was dark brown because he's got a dark brown satchel. Oh yeah, controversial. So anyway, anyway keep going. There keep we going. go. Okay, Rich, your first colour is yellow. Mm. Do you want to have a guess at five points, or do you want the second colour? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um... Let's go with the second colour. Oh, Richard. Coward. Second colour is dark green. A man, a man, a man. That is correct, Rich. Well done. That's four points. Okay. Second round, Pete. Yeah, go on. Let's do it. Your main, your your first colour is red. Ooh, red. I am going to have to have a guess because I don't really care. Um, little Snaggletooth. That is incorrect, Pete. Okay. Oh. Anybody else shouting out, or do I carry on? Emperor's Royal Guard. That's incorrect, Jason. Ah, <laughs> in your face, Jason. Okay. Nobody else. Next yeah. colour is. 
Was that? Uh, was that? No, I was going to say, yeah, go go for the next go color. For okay, next. So we, we've already got red. The next color is dark brown. Next color is black. The next color is silver. Oh, it's a B wing pilot. It is the B wing pilot. Ah. Experience. One point to you, sir. Well done. So I think it's more of a move. Okay, Jason, you're up. Jason, your first colour is beige. Oh, everyone likes beige. Beige. Um, I'm going to say Luke Bespin. Jason, you are correct. It is indeed Luke Bespin. Beige, black, flesh, brown, and sort of uh, mustard I got for the hair. Uh, Okay, moving on to spoons. So your your first colour is a reddy brown. A reddy brown. Um, I think I'm going to have to go for a second colour from that one. Okay, second colour is black. No. No, moving on. Next colour is a very light grey. Reddy brown, black, and a light grey. Nope, need another one. Next colour is flesh. And in fact, that is the last colour. Only four colours. So so a reddy brown, a black, a light grey, very light grey, and a flesh colour. It's got to be a, a person. Flesh, flesh colour gives that away. So, yes, it's a, <laughs> it, 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 is, it is a human character. Yeah, the only thing I could think of would be Bespin Leia, but she's more... I wouldn't say she's reddy brown. That is incorrect. I've got Ben Kenobi. Oh, of course. Yeah. just said he was brown. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's got, I got he's got a quite... black Benny on the, uh, on the chest. He has. He's got his black undershirt. Okay, no points there. I'm sorry, Spoons. And the next one is Rich. Uh, Rich, your first colour is mid-grey. Oh, mid-grey. Like if you had said off-centre grey, I would have got it straight away. Mid-grey is a little bit of a tease. Uh, right, I'll go with the second colour. Black. Right, I'm going to go... Oh, no, because... Right, I'm going to go with the Death Squad Commander. You are correct, Rich. Good, jumping in there. Reversal. So that's, uh, that's three points. And at the end of that, that's the second round, we have Rich in the lead on eight points. We've got Jason second on six points. We've got Pete on five points. Five. And we've got Spoons bringing up the rear valiantly on one point. Oh, dear. I need to get a wriggle on. Okay. Round three. Okay. Starting off with Pete again. So, Pete, your first colour is red. Oh, red? Now, don't forget, B-Wing pilot has gone. That rules one out. (laughs) So I just keep going with the same answer. That might be quite fun. Uh, I'm just going to say Little Snaggletooth. That is incorrect, Pete. Oh. Anybody else jumping in? One day it will be in. Jason, that is, cor- that is correct. Bloody Jason. On fire. One On day fire. it will be Little Red Snaggletooth. And now it comes round to Jason's turn. Jason, your first colour is black. Darth Vader. That is incorrect, Jason. <laughs> That'll learn him. Ooh. Okay, open to anybody else. Any guesses? Uh, Luke I'll, Jedi. I'll go for guess. Luke Jedi. That's that's incorrect, Pete. Oh. Imperial Gunner. That's incorrect, Spoons. 
So oh. Richie might as well hear. Give us all the colours again and all that. Yep. So so we've had black. Mm -hmm. We then have dark grey. Mm. We then have orange. And we then have white. Only four colours. I'm trying to struggle on the orange unless there's someone, there's someone on the chest piece. I'm going to go TIE Fighter Pilot. That's right, it is the TIE Fighter Pilot. Okay, Spoons, you're up. Right, ne this, this isn't my forte, is it? Well, let's go. Need the points here. Okay, your first colour is black. I'm going to have to go for the second colour. Second colour is light brown. Ooh. Perhaps a sort of light muddy brown. Ooh. <laughs> Mid-brown. Light muddy brown and black. Is that Luke Jedi? It is not Luke oh. Jedi. Is it Imperial Commander? <laughs> it's not Imperial Commander. Vespa oh. Security Guard Black. <laughs> it is not, no. Well, can I just have all the colours again and I might as well steal <laughs> another point here? You're doing well, Rich. Richard. The quiet man. Okay, Rich, so it's black, light muddy brown, mid brown. Is this browns? Flesh, sand, and green. What? Who's who's been making? Who's been painting his figures? This must be a variant, a variant of some kind. Oh, I know, I know who it is now. The bootleg. It's a, a black, light, muddy brown, mid brown, flesh, sand, and green. It's wheat rich, yeah. Need to hurry. Imperial yeah. commander. It is not. Luke, it, it, Luke uh, Endor, isn't it? Poncho. It is Luke Poncho. Do you know what? I've got a I've little got my too late there. Collection of figures in a cupboard in this room, <laughs> and every figure I've had is out of sight from where I'm sat. <laughs> I, I hope you're looking the other way, Spoons. Well, there's no doubt we can't see them anyway. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm looking straight at mine, and I still can't see those colours on that figure. Oh, so dear. There we go. I'm going to need to trust, trust all of you to look away from your cabinets, please. Yeah, yeah. Well, my cabinet's okay. twisted, so... I'm not doing me any good looking in it, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Rich, it's we're on to you. Okay, Rich, your first colour is beige. Another colour. Light green. Another colour. Dark brown. Right, I'm going to go with Bosk. That is incorrect, Rich. Anybody jumping in at that? Rebel is Commando! Is it Han Endor? It is neither of those, so who's who's left? It's me. Spoons. It's Spoons. Spoons. So it's got right. beige. We've got beige, we've got yeah. light green, we've got dark brown, and then we've got silver, Oh. and then we've got red brown. This is, yeah, this is beyond me. <laughs> right, who's this... I think, I, think, I think Andy's kids have been painting his feet. So <laughs> <that's happening. laughs> Maybe I'm colourblind. You'll, you'll kick yourselves when you hear it. Is it Nikto? It is not Nikto, no. It is Yoda. Oh! oh Yoda the Jedi Master. Yoda. I would argue that he's more green than beige. He's brown. He's got brown body. Yeah. We had yeah, well, no, we've got, got, got dark brown, but uh, no, his, his, his coat is definitely a beige. Oh, he's got his yeah, and his suit's brown under that, isn't it? So yeah, yeah, I'll give you that. If he was naked, I would have I would have called a an inquiry into that one, but no, I'll I'll have to have to concede that. Yeah, so I'm I'm, I'm looking at all these figures and I still can't get it. This is... <laughs> <laughs> okay, next round we have got Pete. Uh, your first colour, Pete, is dark blue. Dark blue. Oh my word! Uh, I'm gonna go for a second one. I'm gonna be adventurous. Okay, next colour is black. 
dark blue and well i'm gonna say uh white best spinning guard just for fun Pete, that is incorrect oh anybody else jumping in how droid correct jason oh, hey <laughs> very good well done after that we have dark blue black silver white light gray orange pink and yellow he's a colorful little chap isn't he who was it power droid gone uh, i thought you said there was no droids yeah, he did. No, 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 no droids as in droids. Droids <laughs> figures. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I was, I was very specific. I said the full ninety. That was run. open to interpretation, wasn't it? <laughs> we all know what he meant. I, I do. Yeah. It's corner at Stewart's Inquirer, aren't we? Jason, your first color is black. Darth Vader. No. Imperial Gunner. Incorrect. Luke Jedi. Incorrect. Like a scout. <laughs> Incorrect. You, so, so you've all you've all jumped in. No more guesses. Uh, that is Han Solo. Uh, uh, right, spoons. Come on, time to make amends now. So, spoons, your first colour is grey. I've still only got one point, haven't I? You have. Grey. Come on, give me the next one. Tan. You could say it's very difficult. <laughs> right, go on, the next one dark brown and there are and there could be droids there's no Ewoks oh, when you said oh you said no Ewoks as well so that it could be no, a... no droids and Ewoks as in the cartoon series figures oh, I generally thought you meant you just excluded the droids and Ewoks <laughs> from this no, because, so... because because they are in the full 96 run yes oh, of course you did say that yeah so say the colours again dark grey okay so you've got grey is the main colour yeah and then tan yeah and then dark brown and then dark green. This is too difficult for me. There'll be another one hidden around the corner. That's why. Do you want next colour? Yeah, I'm going to have to, yeah. I can't even... OK, a dark silver. Oh, I've got no idea, really. I'm going to go for ATST driver. That is incorrect. Anybody else? Fall on. No. Damn. Nick 2. No. Logway. No. The answer no, is right, with dark silver. Ah, uh, keyboard. What are you on about? The answer, the answer is Clatu. Oh, I was so sausage. close with Nick too. I you were, you were very close. You got the wrong goon. Yeah, right area, wrong goon. Rich. Oh, when, I, when I said um, Nick too before, I was thinking of Clatu. Anyway, I just don't even know what the names are of these things. <laughs> well, just, just all that blood's gone. You've lost. Yeah, that's Clatu oh, Barada, isn't it? This is a vintage Star Wars podcast, isn't it? I'm feeling a little bit lightheaded now. How many more rounds, Andy? Come on. Are we all losing the will to live? Yes. I've, I've got one more round after this. Okay. Okay. Rich, starting with Dark Grey. The ATST driver. Incorrect. Anybody jumping in or shall I keep yeah, going? Bro. Imperial Commander. No, no. Ah. Who's left? Spoons. Spoons. Okay, spoons. You might as well have all the colours. Dark grey. Dark grey. Light, yeah. light grey. Is it the emperor? It is. We already had the emperor. Ah, uh, it's that as well. <laughs> <laughs> it is Tebow. Tebow. Well, I wouldn't have known what his, which one he was anyway. There's no Ewoks in this game. Yeah, okay. Well, not Star I'll Wars. I'll tell you now. That, I'll tell you now. There's no droids or Ewoks in the last round of any kind. All right. Right. Okay. That's good. Okay. Okay. Last, last. Last round counts for all. Pete, you're you're kicking off with dark green. Dark green. Oh. 
I'm going to say uh, the Endor Rebel soldiery thingy, whatever his name is. That is incorrect. Uh-huh. Anybody else jumping in on dark green? Nickdor. No. Next colour is black. Next colour is flesh. Next colour is dark brown, light grey, and silver. Oh, is this the A-Wing pilot? It is the A-Wing pilot. Yes! Spoons, you've d- doubled your score. <laughs> yes, I'm not finished last. Yes. Well, right. Yeah. I finished last, but just with more than a point. Yeah. Jason, are you ready? Yes. Chestnut brown. Oh, it's just not brown. Who haven't we? We've had Chewbacca. He's gone. Chewbacca's gone. Correct. Oh, uh, what what brown coloured Ewoks are there? No Ewoks or droids in this round. Oh, uh, light brown. Cream. Light oh. brown and cream. I'm gonna go with my good old friend Nick too. That is incorrect. Next colour is black. I'm going to say EV-99 for fun. That is incorrect, Pete. That's a droid. Ah. No, no droids. No Ewoks. No one listens to this. Next horror is Flesh. This is a human character. Chestnut brown, cream, black, flesh. And the last colour is white. I'm, I think I'm, I'm, I'm not the only one in it. No, I'm in it. Hey. Well, that was your guess. That's gone. No, it's... <laughs> <laughs> I'd say Rebel Soldier. Rebel Sa- He's left it late, but he's on a roll. It's it never Rebel Soldier. Up round. He's <laughs> from. I'm gonna I'm gonna send you the uh, the Bible for all archaeologists, Andy. It's the Munsell chart. Do you know about that? <laughs> I, I don't. So you get you hold up a piece of soil against a colour, so everyone is in agreement what colour it is. <laughs> oh, this is like the Dulux colours range, is it? Yeah, yeah. Is this? Oh, okay, yeah. okay. He's making well, he's, I got up. a point anyway, didn't he's I? He's chestnut brown. You have got another point yet. Stop arguing. I'll take it away. Okay, uh, uh, it's it's your round spoons. Right. Uh, your your first colour is grey. Give me another colour. Dark blue. Grey and dark blue. Actually, it's to be fair, dark greeny blue. Oh, he's making up. <laughs> dark greeny blue. Is this? Oh, and I don't. I can't. I think. I think this lack of blood has gone to my head. There's. I can't even remember which is which now. Uh, I think it's Zuckus. That's the right way around, isn't it? That is incorrect. Anybody right. else? Little orphan Annie. <laughs> Keep going. The next colour is mid blue. You did see there was no so droids and Ewoks and. I did. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So we got grey as the main colour. Mm-hmm. We got dark greeny blue. We got mid blue. Next colour oh. is dark brown. This is really obvious, actually, now, isn't it? No, because we're all completely hooked. The next colour is black. Walrus man. Incorrect. I think orange would have come into play somewhere mm-hmm. there. And the last colour is white. So you've got grey, you've got dark greeny blue, you've got mid blue, you've got dark brown, black and white. There's only one character it could be. Well, it's not in my cabinet, unless it's too dark. Am I the only one not cheating here? <laughs> I'm cheating, I'm not winning. Okay, now time's up. The answer is Lando Calrissian. And the last one, Rich, this is you. Oh, well, you're, you're winning anyway, so... Uh, uh, actually, no, if you don't get it and Jason picks up a point, Jason can tie. Right. Come on, come on. He's a fighter. Okay, so your first colour is beige, dark brown. See, yeah, you see, beige could be green and dark brown could be yellow, so I'm trying to... He doesn't know what beige right. is, does he? 
What did He's just saying beige, look at them. I've got it. Beige and dark brown. Right, another colour. Yeah, I've beige and dark brown. Dark grey. Oh no, I haven't got it now. No, neither have I. Another colour. Yellow. Mm. Oh, I completely have not got it. But <laughs> <laughs> you failed there, me. Low grey? That is incorrect. No Ewoks! <laughs> oh. Okay. No one listens. No one listens. Jason, your time to steal. So we've got Rebel beige. Commander. Incorrect. Beige, dark brown, dark grey, yellow. Yellow. Oh, Han Solo, Bespin. Incorrect. Oh. And the final colour is flesh. Well, I would have said, I'm not going to say it because he's got no grey. I was thinking Luke Bespin. Yellow-haired variant. That's incorrect. We've already had Luke. Oh, it's low. No, I was, I was going to say that, but what I'm actually going to say is Lobot. Incorrect. Oh. It, it is Leia Boosh. What? A, what colours did you say oh, again? Boosh. Beige, dark brown, dark grey, yellow, and flesh. I'm going to say there's more brown than there is beige. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'll, I'll give you that. In, in, in dispute, but I'd say anyway, yes. that's fair the enough. The judge's decision is final. So at the end of the quiz, we have Rich on nine points, we have Jason on eight points, we have Pete on five points, and we have Spoons on three points. Well done, everybody. Well, thank you for that, Andy. Send him that Bible, um, Andy. And if you've got any other copies of that Bible, and now any of our listeners want to get a copy, um, could they contact you for space? It's the Munsell chart, available from all good bookshops. Okay, so that was a no. Right then, so let's uh, let's go into our shout-outs, and I've been looking at these items, we've got some brilliant, brilliant items here, so no, I'm not going to go to Pete first, because Pete, um, I'm sick of you going first. Oh, thanks. Let's go to, let's go to Annie Preston, because this one did cause a big stir, and I did like this item when it first appeared, I've never seen it before. Cheers, Rich. Yeah, this was a good one. Um, so this is an item which was sold on, it was on Jabber's, wasn't it? Jabber's Auctions. This is an item which was put up for sale by Sarah Baker Saunders. She said this was her um, her spiel. She said, OK, OK, guys, here's a little auction to hopefully brighten your day. Up for auction, an Express Dairies milk bottle advertising topper. This was put on your doorstep milk bottle by your milkman way back in 1980. I have owned this since then. If you filled in the coupon on the back and selected a milkshake for an extra 23 pence, you would receive a wonderful Empire poster. And she says, I'm sure some of you still have this poster. I, I do indeed. I've got one uh, up in uh, up in my, uh, my loft somewhere. Here is a very rare, she says, so I've been told, unused one. Bidding starts at £100 with £1 increments. So what this is, exactly as Sarah said, uh, this is a cardboard. It's a sort of semicircular shape, and it's shaped so that when you twist it round, it will fit over the top of a milk bottle. Uh, it's two-sided. On the one side, um, which is the coloured side, you've got a picture of the Empire poster art, the Gone with the Wind poster art. Uh, you've got an Empire Strikes Back logo, uh, and it says £1 off at Woolworths. Um, so it's the uh, RSO soundtrack that was being advertised, so you could go and get your £1 off the soundtrack. And then free, you could get an Empire Strikes Back poster. Fantastic poster. It's the, the classic poster showing the three Atats marching across the frozen landscape of Hoth. Uh, it's got the Empire Strikes Back logo, and it says, May the sound be with you. 
So get this. This is a poster that was offered by Express Dairies, and it's got the Express Dairies logo on it. It's promoting the RSO soundtrack, and it's saying that the soundtrack album is available from Woolworths and from Boots. I don't think those four companies have ever been matched together in any promotion before or since. So on the back of this um, bottle topper... Uh, is the the, the 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 bit of blurb? Ask your express milkman for a free Empire Strikes Back poster available with your order for strawberry, chocolate, or banana flavour. Express dairy drinks and the little order form to fill out. So there we go, um, a lovely item, very 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 rare. Now I can remember having these back in the day. I can remember pleading with my mum to order these milkshake bottles to get the free poster, and indeed I did have the free poster. Sadly, never kept the bottle topper. So the auction started um, at £100. Mark Daniels jumped in straight away, £250. A lot of interest, a lot of other people commenting on it. Nathan Hodge, he said, I had one of these about 15 years back, never seen another. I put it in an LP sleeve to keep it safe. Then I sold the LP. Quickly, Duncan Jenkins jumps in, bid of £300. Mark Daniels, £350. The bidding goes up, the bidding goes up. Uh, I was going to come in at 400 but it went way past my bid. Um, Gus Lopez and Ian Ward bidding it up. Got into the final seconds of the auction. It was going up and up. 550, 575, 650 from Gus, 675 from Ian, 700 pounds from Gus. Ian says, I'm out. Sarah, who's selling it, says, wow, that was very exciting. Sold to Gus Lopez. Many thanks again to all who took an interest in this item. Much appreciated. Stefan Callier pops up and says, technically, one minute left on the auction. Nail-biting time. Would anybody else jump in with a last-second bid? No, in the end, they didn't. Gus got it. Fantastic uh, that he has. Uh, it's going to a very, very good home, and I know he's delighted with that. And, uh, yeah, what a fantastic piece. I would love to find one of those one day, uh, but uh, I, I don't think I could justify paying £700 for it. Yeah, it was an awesome night in that, and uh, thanks for that great description there. Right, I'm going to go with my name next. Um, it was posted by Horatio Naves, who we've had on the show before, who goes by Ozio, and it is a Darth Vader collector's case. And you may think, oh, God, so what, you know? Um, and Ron's written a hilarious review of the Darth Vader collector's case on the Star Wars Collector's Archive, which I would urge everybody to go and read. Uh, but this one is special, because not only does it, become, does it come in its sleeve, um, and uh, I haven't seen too many that are in, in their sleeve still. Um, this one is a Lily Leddy Darth Vader's collector's case. Um, you know, just such a rare, rare item. Possibly, to, well, certainly to, to the best of my knowledge, it's the only one that I know of that actually has everything intact. I've, I've never seen one before at all. Um, and in doing some research on this, I'm aware that there are others who've seen them with one or two of the inserts, but not with everything complete like this one has. Uh, so on the front of it, on the front of the sleeve, you've got your typical To The Jedi logo with La Guerre de Les Galaxias, or however that's pronounced, and then advertising that it holds 31 figures. But I love everything that comes in this. I mean, the insert's fantastic on this. And I've had a look at the inserts, and I've had a look at, you know, do these figures come from the card backs? Uh, do the figures come from other inserts? And it's possible, and certainly, you know, anybody can correct if I'm wrong, it's possible that these figures are completely unique to these inserts. So on the first side of the insert, you've got Vader, Luke Bespin, Leia, C-3PO, G2, Han Bespin, Chewbacca, uh, Ben Kenobi, Yoda, Stormtrooper, Ray Yeez, Gamorian God, Nine Numb, 
um, Klaatu, and then it has squid head but with the black cape, early prototype version of that. And then flip it over, you've got Lando, uh, Low Grey, Chief Chirper, Boba Fett, Medine, uh, Weakway, Emperor's Wild Guard, TIE Fighter Pilot, and then you've got Bib Fortuna in the burgundy cape. You've got Leabouche, Biker Scout, Star Destroyer Commander, Imperial Commander, Admiral Akbar, and Luke Skywalker as his Jedi Knight. Uh, just an absolutely wonderful insert, really, really love it. Um, on the back of the sleeve, it has a Lily logo, and uh, together with a really odd shot of the figures, um, it's almost like as if the figures are crammed in the middle and it has a huge yellow from the card backs all around the outside of it. Very, very odd photograph on there. Ozio's also included photographs of the catalogue, uh, looks at all the instruction leaflets in there, um, the stickers, which most of the names are in um, you know, normal um, English, but there are some of the some of the text is in um, the Mexican Spanish alternative. Photo photograph of the little pouch on the side, which looks so it's cardboard on the leddy um, Vader's carry case, and certainly the the straps that hold the figures in place are different as well. Um, so absolutely amazing, amazing item. Um, and I showed this to a couple of you guys and said, you know, what do you think of this? And you know, to, to me, when I first looked at it, I thought it was very reminiscent of the Bendham's carry case that came out in the mid nineties. But yeah, absolutely wonderful to see this one, Ozio. Well done, great pickup, awesome item. Pete, let's come over to you now. What have you found? Uh, well, I uh, went with quantity rather than. Oh, well, quantity and quality, really, but I thought I'd go with quantity. So on Star Wars Form UK, a poster called Gadders, great name, he bought, well, I'm assuming it's a he, uh, he bought a bunch of stuff uh, and another carry case, which is always fun. So carry cases galore this month. I got one. Your mate got one. Gadders has got one. But uh, he got a um, it, there's a little list of stuff, a Clipper A5 catalogue. This is the one with the kind of stamp on the front with the um, ATST in the snow a uh, nice little catalogue also got a german uh, empire strikes back poster much like the one i've got but obviously in german uh, the empire strikes back one with the figures and vehicles on one side and post of i'm assuming it's going to be the atta on the other side a pbp advert and i'm assuming it's coming a comic um return of the jedi advert with nine numb Bosk and Dengar in it, all in some strange language. Looks fantastic, half page. Then he's picked up the item I would absolutely love, and I've not seen one. It's that hexagonal metal Empire Strikes Back bank, which is just the best thing I've ever seen, and I want one. And I want one now, Richard. Um, it's got the figures drawn in beautiful artwork around the sides, all in sparkly blue. It's just it's just an amazing thing. And he got a, a Kenner ESB Darth Vader carry case, much like mine. His is sadly in its box still, so he can't get it out and play with it. It's a bit of a shame, but it is a beautiful piece. But, yeah, I just thought it's nice to see a real variety of stuff. I mean, that's, a, that's stuff from all over the place. That's a real European frenzy, isn't it, really? Yeah, great item that, Pete. Well spotted. Um, nice to see stuff appearing on Star Wars Formula UK from time to time. Um, let's head over to Jason next. I've got a feeling just for a change, Jason may go Palatoy. That's just because you've read the show notes. Um, yes, I have gone Palatoy, and this is a, another uh, another thing that uh, John Aves, who posts on... Facebook under the under the name Wendy Williams uh, posted on Star Wars Palatoy Collector. Uh, now it's not clear whether he, he won this or whether he just found it in his collection, but basically he's got the the elusive fourth bounty hunter capture log. Now 
No, most people know that there are three of these. So there's basically the front and back of, back of the capture log. On the back, you can either have one that doesn't have the Paltoy logo. It's got it at the top or it's got it in the middle. But the very first issue has it right at the bottom. And obviously, back in the day, Steffi Kaliab was the first person to come across this variant and posted on, I think it was, the Imperial Gunnery with a post saying, there are not three of these, there are four of these. And uh, anyway, John has found another one. I mean, it's, it's really crinkled and, and creased, but it's, an, it's another example. And it's only the second one that I think I've seen. And I've been looking for one of these for, I don't know, five years, ten years, a long time. The interesting thing about it is... The, the paper on the other three is a kind of uh, it's kind of like matte, but this the, the paper they've used on the first issue is very kind of glossy, which I hadn't picked up before. But you can see it in the picture that he posted; it's quite glossy as well. So um, yeah, I'm still looking, and he I think he's had one for a number of years there. So I'm very very uh, very happy for him that he's uh, he's got the elusive fourth bounty hunter capture log. Yeah, great, great item there, and I'm pleased that John's picked that up as well, absolutely. And Andy Spoons, let's see what you've got to uh, showcase this month. Well, I've also been over to Star Wars Forum UK, uh, page 2473 on the latest acquisitions there. And this one's um, a lovely tri-logo, original Han Solo. Uh, and it's it's one of these items that's been made up of other parts, basically collecting beautiful looking cards on a budget and this is from mini 99 that's nick and essentially it's a it's a card back for han solo so it's got that classic picture of him holding the stormtrooper blaster um with his strange red trousers on and i don't think that's an, an andy preston you know description of the color of his trousers they do look red it's some weird airbrushing on the front of that card uh, and he's got uh, a, basically a cut bubble and put that in front of the card with the, with Han in it, and it just looks absolutely fantastic. Great condition, from it looks as good as any any sealed one, and it's got a lovely one pound ninety nine price sticker in the top right hand corner. Now I don't recognise the name of the store, so I'd be interested if anyone knows what that one is. I can't quite make it out. It's got a blue stripe at the top, white underneath, but it's a, yeah, it's a lovely looking item on a budget. Fantastic. Who wouldn't want that in their collection? Yeah, awesome is once again, guys, and it's great to see the community, um, you know, showcasing more and more stuff, especially new things that I've never seen before. Brilliant. Right then, uh, so that wraps up the introduction. Let's head over to Rebel Briefings. Sprightly than he looks. A fet worth than death. Brexit and collecting. Woohoo! The man who shot Luke Skywalker is back again. Pigs in space! The rebel base is on a moon on the far side. We are preparing to orbit the planet. Richard! 
more sprightly than he looks. Is this a reference to me, you cheeky get? Um, no, I don't think you can be described as sprite. You, you could stick a tutu on you and give you boomerang socks and you still wouldn't be sprightly. But this sort of involves you in a way because I believe you picked the story up and you made a random post in our text chat and I read it and I thought, what on earth is he going on about? Because you didn't give any backstory. There was nothing. It was just something along the lines of, ha, I'll take that. I'm saying, what? Because you assumed that we all read another thread on the Beyond the Toys Facebook group, and uh, none of us had. So we had to all go back and then, you know, read Pete's mind, which was a scary pace. And then we had to go uh, back, read your text chat, and then we, we sort of got into it from then. Pete, are you going to lead with this one? What happened on the Beyond the Toys Facebook group? What caused great concern, and how did you get involved in it? Well, first of all, Rich, I am actually wearing a tutu, so that's kind of random, that is. But, right, yeah, um, it was... Um, if you remember, a few months back uh, in November, I was I was chirping about a find I had on eBay. I was really chuffed about it. I never seen them before. Didn't know anything about them. Uh, did a bit of research and found a website that said, "Oh yeah, these uh, they were Sprite or Coca Cola cards from Singapore for a prize draw." There's ten of them. They had nice Empire Strikes Back images on them. Uh, mostly Hoth, you know, you know Leia. Han, etc., etc. I thought it was a great little find. Uh, it was about, I think it cost about 15 quid, uh, including postage. It just, it was just like, yeah, that looks pretty cool. Never seen them before. Don't know what they are. Um, you know, 15 quid, that's all right. And then, it, then a kind of little extra bit of story. I'd bought them off a guy where Mr. Spoons had a bit of a run-in with him over a Scanlight lampshade. Bit of a bit of shenanigans. Andy left him a negative, which mm-hmm. deserved. Well, no, deservedly so. He tried to con him. And so they got damaged in the post. And it was a bit like dodgy, but you know, I said, well, you know, maybe it was only just a one-off. Did you oh, see my neg- Did you see my negative then? Oh yeah, yeah, it's still there. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but I thought, well, you know, he's got he's, he's been on for ten years on eBay or whatever. He's got a good reputation, you know, one bad thing, you know, maybe Andy's making it up. Uh, you just never know. So anyway, didn't think much of it. Put him in my collection. Looked nice. One of those nice things. Then I saw, I think it was a guy called Andy pa- Andrew Palmer, I believe. Uh, Mr. Preston knows him much better than I do. And uh, he kind of was talking about these things. And Grant, our friend Grant, he said, what? What on earth are these? He jumped on them, bought two. Obviously knew they were fake and left him two negatives saying these are fake. How dare you? And it turns out what basically happened is this guy bought a lo- load of stuff from the Far East in a big deal he was listing them he knew they were fake he definitely knew they were fake because he listed them again and again and again uh, he didn't declare that they weren't fake or he didn't know he just said these are you know vintage come from 1980 and uh, it turns out to cut a long story short that there were uh, quite a few people being caught out on these and how we found out was that the card should have had serrated edges because they would have come in like a I guess you know they, you'd have tore them off at the bottom and of course these cards didn't and I did remember when I actually got them that I did think that the printing was a little bit off. And I thought, you know what, you know, what what was what was the kind of printing conditions over in Singapore in 1980? I mean, did it really feature? Didn't I said, didn't think much of it, but yeah. So I did a bit more digging and look around the net. Grant had actually bought them from a different account from a guy, and he had the same surname from the guy I bought them from. So put two and two together, <laughs> they are a pair of brothers. So I complained to eBay saying, look, these are fake. He's conned me. He's not contacted me to give my money back. I want to report him. And then I sent him an email saying, look, you know, I don't like being conned. And I'm going to report you to the fraud squad as well. So you can do if, if you do get conned online, you can 
threaten someone as such legally with just reporting their name to action fraud if you believe that they've done something like that i've done it a few times in items that have been sent back to me especially in my computer business where someone has bought an item has ripped off components they need or something or drilled a hole in something and sent it back saying oh yeah this is what you sent me and of course just like yeah right so i do contact action fraud semi-regularly and eBay panic on those sort of things when they when they get involved in the police and they will obviously refund you. They couldn't refund me because it's too far, far gone. But um, yeah, then he sent me an email saying that an account had been frozen and he can no longer sell on eBay. He can't sell on eBay on his account, but he was selling on eBay on his brother's account, which is very naughty. But he can no longer sell on there either. He had no access to eBay at all apart from the emails. So, yeah, he did actually, to be fair to him in a weird way, he did actually send me my money back because it was november it was far too too far gone but um, it's nice that story of someone who who knew full well they were fake he actually admitted to me i didn't know these were fake were true they were probably fake because the real ones are worth about 100 pounds so he obviously knew they were fake from day one then didn't he because that's a bit cheeky uh and now he's been punished and he sent me actually several messages saying you know oh i can't list on ebay anymore you've ruined my my hobby blah 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 so you know what you should well you've been caught out mate you've been caught out don't do it because i'm one of those nasty little gets who won't let it go if you've conned me i won't let it go i don't like it i like being conned so uh you know that is a way to get around these things you know you can use ebay ebay to be fair to them have actually acted i'm sure they saw grants messages i'm sure sure other seller or buyers have reported them to ebay as well I mean, they didn't do it on my on my message. They did it on several messages. So, um, yeah. So that's that's a lesson. If you if you sell fakes, you have the option of being caught. You know, he could have come clean if he just sent me my money back when he was found out. I, I wouldn't have had an issue with that. But he decided to keep my money and continue with his uh, his theft. The moon with the rebel base will be in range in 30 minutes. A fet worth than death. I think this is one for Jason, isn't it? Yeah, um, so what it is, um, we've talked about this um, leaflet before on the podcast. There's a little uh, Boba Fett leaflet which matches the the picture of the action figure that's, you know, and you can see it in uh, Star Wars Weekly in 2018 and various other comics. But it was actually a flyer giveaway, a much smaller size. Um, and they're, they're kind of incredibly rare. So when they come up, they're kind of quite well well contested. Andy Preston managed to get one a couple of podcasts ago, which I was quite jealous of. And uh, Toys of Tatooine and Ben Logray Potter has uh, come up with a big find of these. So I think I think what what happened back in the day was some some very kind of uh, overkeen child where where there was a a promotion in the shop and a big pile of these leaflets grabbed a lot because um, Toys of Tatooine have got somewhere under 100 of these things that they're selling in batches of 20. They're all really mint. They look really nice. So, yeah, I mean, it's not often that a big find of um, leaflets like that comes up and um, they've got a big lot of these things which they're uh, in the process of trying to sell. So, um, yeah, looking forward to getting my hands on one of those. Death Star approaching. Estimated time to firing range, 15 minutes. Tell us more about Brexit, Richard, and... Well, yeah, um, this obviously has come as no real surprise, although a lot of people on Stories from UK and various other places have been surprised 
Um, so the first portions of UK, um, well actually not the first post, quite a few posts that reference other posts. But this is from Oli Suds all of a sudden weeks. And he put, okay, so I guess it's no surprise that VAT, which is a tax that we pay in the UK of 20% currently, is due on purchases from the EU now. However, I was not expecting them to be taken on purchase without warning when buying something from the EU. I was watching an item from France priced at 50 euro. I received an offer for a 20% discount, so 40 euro. No mention of any additional taxes being added. I accepted the offer. I received notification that my offer of €40 plus $12 shipping has been accepted. When I go to payment, it says you've committed to buy this item at €48 plus €12 shipping. Now, if you look at the terms on the VAT on eBay, it says with your list items on eBay, you include VAT in your price. You may not add VAT to the final price after a buyer has won or bought an item. Very tempted to cancel the sale out of principle here. What are your thoughts on this? And I've had a thing about this, and I thought, well, hold on a second. You've said it's no surprise that VAT is due, okay? So if an item's worth €40, euro, it stands, you know, it's, it's blatantly obvious to me that there's going to be an €8 euro charge coming at some point. Is that the seller's fault? Well, to me, absolutely not. I think it is the buyer's fault. But I think his concern here is about how EB is doing it. Um, so, guys, one of you lots went real to town on the facts and advice here from eBay. Um, I'm guessing it's Andy Preston here because it looks like it's his handwriting. So, what have you found out about eBay? Because, personally, I, I don't really get Ollie's point on this one. So, can somebody explain this one for us? I'm very impressed. You can tell my handwriting in typeface, Rich. That's, uh, that's, that's very clever. But, uh, yeah, it was me that put that up. And all I've done is copied and pasted the eBay advice on uh, charging VAT on import and export of goods uh, to and from the EU. So I am not going to read all of this because you'll all be uh, first asleep by the end of it. But uh, basically, eBay have said, yeah, the UK has introduced a new model for imports to ensure that goods coming from outside the UK are treated in the same way as goods already in the UK. And this applies from the 1st of January 2021. So they are abolishing the current VAT exemption um, for goods in small consignment to a value up to £15. So you pay VAT on everything. eBay themselves are going to collect and remit the VAT on consignments up to a value of £135 imported into the UK. So that should be applied directly by eBay. So um, there is the the requirement on sellers, presumably this is sellers in the EU, to provide a gross price and separate VAT rate, sorry, a separate VAT rate on their UK listings so that eBay can determine the correct amount of VAT to collect from consumers. Uh, and all, all prices, it says, and this is from eBay, all prices will be displayed inclusive of UK VAT. And Oliver obviously has found uh, it's a little bit different to that. So that's the VAT. The other thing, of course, that we've got to be mindful of is customs charges, uh, which are being applied now on uh, goods purchased from the UK. And again, without losing the will to leave, I've not gone into detail on the customs charges, but uh, I think it's a £35 cutoff, if I remember rightly, uh, above which you will be charged customs charges as well as your VAT. So, Andy, Andy, can you go? Can you go back a stage there? Because because I thought I understood why Ollie was annoyed, but I might be confusing customs and VAT. So if, at, previously, if I bought an item from the United States, yeah, I would pay what it was advertised in dollars. It would arrive 
in the UK. And if I was lucky, it would just go through customs and come to me. If I was unlucky, I would get a little grey slip through the door saying that I've got to pay 20% VAT or 20% customs, is that? Well, 20% anyway, plus the handling charge. Um, and so I was thinking, well, that's because the the costs were added when it got to the country rather than when I bought it from eBay, that that's maybe why Ollie, Ollie was caught up. So are you saying, though, then so you pay the 20% on eBay and then you're liable for customs on top of that as well? No, I, th- I think you've come and rescued me there because I think I was getting a little bit um, caught up and, right. uh, and going up. <laughs> going up it, which it, okay, in that so, case, yes. that's, that's why Ollie's, Ollie's surprised because the current system is that the UK adds that cost on, and it's particularly pertinent with vintage Star Wars because every time I got hit with 20%, I would then fill in form whatever it was, explain that this was a vintage toy um uh, and uh, I can't remember what the actual things was o- over thirty years old in its original packaging, and it's then down to five percent. So it's a bit of a faff doing it, and you've still got to pay the um, the parcel force handling fee. Of, it's about twelve quid. So in Ollie's situation, that would be more than the twenty percent anyway. So it's probably he's better off paying it up front rather than being caught out because uh, you don't get that reduced you still pay the 12 pounds but you can get the 20 if it's a high value item you get the 20 percent reduced down to five it makes a big difference and it's certainly worth take you know i'm quite happy to declare prices on things because if it means they're insured and if i do get hit with customs I, I then write and get that reduced so yeah this this will this will be a different way of buying things so the same applies to japan australia wherever you would get hit with the customs when it got to the uk eBay seem to be taking it upon themselves to put that 20% VAT on at the point that you buy it, which I, yeah, I certainly wasn't aware of until we've just been discussing it now. I Correct. bought something yesterday from uh, eBay, uh, one a lot from from Italy, and I can see exactly that. So um, it was it was 20 euros. The postage was 14 euros. That's about 35 euros, and the VAT is 6.8 almost seven euros which is roughly 20 percent. so yeah i can see it on the lot that i got yesterday so how do customs know that you've already paid it that's the next question oh well i'll find out when it turns up yeah well unless they just turned essentially they turn a blind eye to anything from europe because they assume that if you've bought it from there the european seller whether it's ebay whether it's their online store they would have added it at that point maybe that's Maybe that's the assumption. The other thing that's quite interesting is there were some posts on some of the Facebook groups about this. Is some European sellers are now ask when you when you when you buy something, um, they're now asking um, for an EORI number, which is something that you can apply for uh, from the UK government. If you've got a UK government um, gateway login, it, it's quite trivial to kind of. Uh, apply for an EORI number, but you shouldn't actually need it. So I think I think some European sellers are now mistakenly asking for it, and if you don't give it to them, then the, the, there's the kind of a delay because they need their number. So um, I don't know whether going forwards people are going to be applying for these numbers and uh, supply them to awkward European sellers or not. Can't see how they can just assume that the. VAT is being paid 
it's got to be something like the Global Shipper Program, surely, where the seller sends it into eBay and then they slap a, a special customs label on it or you know a sticker on it to say that it's been paid. That would make sense, wouldn't it? Because that, yeah, that's that's the way it works in the in the US, and then you just you don't get hit with the customs on those things, but you do get hit with extortionate postage costs. It's double what it normally is when they use the uh, the global shipping program, you know, more more so than the VAT you would be due to pay. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it suddenly got expensive buying vintage Star Wars in the UK. Who would have thought? The one thing we can be certain about is there's a lot of uncertainty. Um, <laughs> no, nobody, I mean, you can tell from my waffle earlier, nobody seems to be yeah, entirely clued up about what the rules are and how it all works. And uh, uh, yeah, I just hope it gets sorted out soon. Rebel base, one minute and closing. The man who shot Luke Skywalker is back again. Richard, don't tell me there's yet another book. There is indeed. So the third of the possible six or seven or eight, however many books Kim is planning on, um, has now um, launched on Kickstarter. So it's a hardcover book spanning the years 83 to 85, from when Return of the Jedi was at its peak through the power of the Force, Ewoks and Droids toy lines. A 200 plus pages, volume 3 features full of colour high resolution photos of everyone's favourite shots from the most recognisable packaging from that era, as well as some of the more obscure images. From Tatooine scenes to Endor landscapes, Kim created some of the most elaborate backdrops for the Jedi line. Volume 3 will allow you to see the complexity of some of those dioramas and how much detail went into creating them. Additionally, you'll see amazing photographs from the later Power of the Force, Ewoks and Droids lines of toys. So as I've just said there, this also has gone on Kickstarter, just as Volume 1 and Volume 2 did. Um, I did buy Volume 1, but I didn't purchase Volume 2 due to the cost. Um, I thought it was quite expensive for a book, although I have paid lots of money for books before. I didn't really have it in me. However, this one has um, taken off on social media due to concern, criticism, whatever you want to call it, about the cost of the book. Now, for me personally, if you were going to spend five, six hundred, seven hundred thousand dollars on a book, then, then good on you. If, it, if it's a book that you are going to enjoy, it's a book that you need, if it's a book that you, um, you know, you want to pick up and look after, then absolutely I'm all for that, you know. Uh, some people have got signed editions of books, you know, that go for many thousands of pounds. I totally get it. Um, it's just not for me this time. Um, so I'm just looking at the Kickstarter campaign here. Let's go through the tariffs very quickly for, before I get your comments on it. So for $50, you get your name in the book. That's it. You don't get a book. You just get your name. Your name will appear in the book as a creditor. $50. For $100, you get a mini sampler book. But you don't get the book. Okay, it's just a mini sampler. And for both of those tiers, there is actually a backer for each of them. For $225, you get the basic book. So for us over in the UK, that's going to be about £200. And then as you've got your, your VAT, your import charges, whatever else is going to come on, that's going to be pretty pricey. 88 backers at present on that one um, on the 22nd of February. For $300, you get an autograph book and three postcards, and that's got about 60 backers. For $530, you get volumes 2 and 3. For $600, you get volume 3 and the deluxe version of volume 2. For $670, you get the book, uh, Volume 3, Volume 1, and Volume 2. For $770, you get the book, you get the Deluxe Volume 2, and you get the Standard Volume 1. For $1,000, you get the name in the book as a producer. You get Volume 1, 2, and 3. You get postcards, you get a print, you get a patch, you get a poster, and you get a bag of sand. And there are three uh, backers at $1,000. 
And for $3,000, you get the name on the back as an executive producer, and you get all of the above, plus three extra prints. Can you just wind, wind back a minute there, Rich, please? Sorry to interrupt. A bag of sand, did you say? It is. That's what it says, a bag of sand. It's apparently a bag of sand which was used in the dioramas for the setting up of the Jedi photographs. So all the photos of the mini rigs of the Falcon and everything else, they were sitting on a pile of sand. Kim has kept that sand all these years and you get a little bag of it. There you go. That was some foresight there of him. Yeah, that's amazing. It's possible to screen match it as well to the to the photos if you carefully align your grains up. That'll be interesting to see. I've got a bag of sand from Tatooine. I'll uh, you can have it for five hundred dollars, half the price. Just kind of have your thoughts first on that. I mean, you know, if if you were looking for a standard edition of that book. £200, I mean, there's some amazingly priced books. You know, I'm thinking of Matthias's book is priced very reasonably. Stefan's books are always priced reasonably. I bought the first one, I think from memory, it ended up being about £40 or £45, somewhere about there. The second one ended up coming out as about 120 This one's now leapt up to 200 What are your thoughts, guys? Well, the second one's gone up even more because the... The the five hundred and thirty dollar option, so the book and volume two, volume two is costing more than double the price of the basic book. So to me, it's it's too much money. I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't buy this again. I wouldn't knock anyone that that wants to buy it. You know, everyone has different tastes, and I don't blame Kim for trying to make some money out of um, out of his art either. You know, that's 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 his right to do that. But to me. This is a hell of a lot of money for what it is, and I'm I'm quite staggered actually by the amount of amount of backers, particularly the bag of sand ones. Three out of five backers, essentially for, I suppose you get your name your name in a in a book. Does that really mean that much? I mean, it wouldn't bother me, I must say. So yeah, I I, I find it interesting, but it's it's of no interest to me. To be fair to Kim, I mean, he has said that he's not making a fortune out of these, that they've got very expensive print costs. They're going for really good quality uh, in terms of the paper and the binding and everything else. They're hardcover books. So he has come out and defended himself and justified that cost. But even so, I'm in the same camp as you, Andy. Um, It's way too expensive for a book. There are much, much better things that I could spend my money on. So, no, I'm I'm not going to be buying this. If I if I had two hundred pounds and I didn't have a Kellerman and I could get a Kellerman for two hundred quid, I might buy it, but not not a brand new book, no. It is a shame because I mean he has priced many collectors out in the market, and I mean I understand his whole point if he wants it. He's a, he's a very very proud American, as many of his Facebook followers as will know, and he wants to keep all the costs in the states and the printing and i get all of that i absolutely do but releasing something like volume one where it was a soft cover as an option um which might not have all of the fancy you know prints and patches and all that kind of stuff would have been absolutely fine i think for many for many collectors but you know so be it it's his choice uh, and anybody who's backed all of that you know good on you still got about i think about two months to run i think april um, is the closing date, and last time I checked, it was well on its way to smashing its target. Um, so I've got no doubt at all it's going to be fully funded. Um, it's just it's just not for me. It's too expensive, and I think you know most of the images can be seen online now. But yeah, okay, another nice book that's heading its way. And because this goes all the way up the Droids and Ewoks line, I'm not convinced now that we're going to see six or seven or even eight volumes as been rumoured in the past. Rebel base one minute and closing. 
Finally, Rich, pigs in space. Oh, I've been dying to talk about this for ages. Well, I'm really glad you are, Pete, because honestly, I watched The Muppets as a kid and I hated it. Absolutely. Richard. I thought, actually, no, I didn't watch The Muppets. The Muppets would come on and I would go, what on earth is this rubbish? And I would turn it off every single time. It was so, so bad. Hated it. Hated Kermit. Hated the jokes. Hated the stupid little things I just wanted to punch their faces in. I actually only got into Muppets through Muppet Babies. You know, the Muppet Babies cartoon was awesome, what? but the Muppets themselves was dreadful. So one this of you is just sacrilege. stuck this hey, into uh, the text chat, so... Richard, that really surprises me. It, it honestly does, because you're like Mr. Pantomime. You know, you do, you do the pantomime for work, you've done the Vintage Rebellion pantomime before, and what really struck me watching the Muppets last night is essentially it is just pantomime humour. A couple of people having a silly joke about words there was a song about going tomorrow tomorrow today you know that's it's that's just pantomime humor the jokes are really bad pantomime humor so it just surprised me that you don't you don't like it yeah rich i i put this in because i've been dying to see this i i've i don't know why that there's some rights issue where they've never been able to release it on dvd and stuff but obviously mark hamill was on an episode of the muppets and it's a cracking because there's loads of silliness with Star Wars and other characters and Luke and Mark Hamill in the same room kind of gags. It's just it, it's just so much fun. And I'll tell you what, I grew up with the Muppets, right? And this is why at first, uh, when Empire Strikes Back came out, you know, everyone goes, oh, it's the best ever Star Wars film. When it came out, um, I was of the era where the Muppets were at their you know, prime as such. And obviously you had Sesame Street in the States. But over, over in Britain, we only had The Muppet Show, I believe. I don't. Uh, Sesame Street might have been on, but it was The Muppets that we all knew. Yeah, we have Sesame Street. Yeah, so, I mean, I can only remember, I mean, I don't know what time was on the morning, I probably didn't watch it, uh, probably playing my Star Wars figures. But I can remember when Empire Strikes Back came out, people were like, there's a Muppet in Star Wars. And it was ridiculed. It, a lot of people ridiculed it, especially at school. Um, I was at school, I was like six, seven years old. And people like what uh, Muppets and Star Wars, and it, you know, people saw that as a bit of like a negative, like oh dear, because it did look, you know, the way Yoda moved initially when he's pulling himself along with his stick, it looks like Kermit, it looks like loads of things. So it did take you out a little bit. Obviously now we see it with much love and affection, but the Muppets was just, it was, I think I can't remember what night it was on, probably Saturdays, and it, it was just, it was a staple of you know the TV for for my family anyway, because it was just. Silly, I remember being terrified by, there was a couple of Muppets there, huge big monsters with massive mouths and teeth. I was terrified by those, apparently. Mom was saying that I used to hide behind the, literally hide behind the sofa. I couldn't look at the screen, but, Sweetums. You know. Sweetums, <laughs> Pete. Yeah, it was just crazy. And, uh, and uh, um, it's, Disney Plus have basically got it um because they bought the rights to fox and all this sort of stuff and they've got all their rights back and they've and they do own the muppets now and they, they've done a relaunch and i'm not watching any new stuff but to see these shows again uh it's just brilliant so disney plus it's like 5.99 a month up until i think tomorrow actually they put it up so if you're not a member and you've listened to this show you're a bit late it's going to 7.99 a month but you know to, to have five seasons of the muppets and then season five where mark hamill appears you've got Two episodes before him, Christopher Reeve is on, Superman. And then you've got Linda Carter, the next episode. Then you've got Mark Hamill. I mean, what more do you want? Even for you, Richard, Linda Carter. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. 
boys he didn't like muppets you i i know you're muppet fans i mean jason you are a muppet so you know you must remember what are you saying like (laughs) i have saw two episodes i've seen the more camel episode years ago and i've saw the alice cooper episode as well but nah it's just i work with muppets i don't want to go and watch them on the telly Boons, I know you're a fan. What about you, Preston? You must like you must have been a Muppet fan. Or were you too old for it? Because you are old. I I am. I'm ancient, Pete. But uh, no, I, I watched the I watched a bit of Muppets back in the day. Wouldn't say it was my favourite, but uh, yeah, as, uh, as as Spoon said, just good pantomime, old-fashioned humour. So yeah, you can't you can't knock the Muppets, can you? Rich, Pigs what are you in space, at? the best science fiction TV program, Pigs in Space. I'm a real big fan of the latest one they did, the one with Jason Siegel. I really like that. Who? Jason Siegel? Never heard of him. What's a Siegel doing? I'm here this evening with Palatoy's chief designer, Bob Breakin. Welcome to the, the podcast, Bob. I'm going to start off asking you a little bit about your early career. Uh, and we're going to talk about a bit about Action Man. I know this is a Star Wars show, but we can't have you on without talking about Action Man. So you joined Palatoy in, in 1967. Was that your first job? And what, what skills do you need to be a toy designer? It wasn't my first job. I, I, uh, I went to school in Oxford and um, went into sixth form and did um, art, maths, and engineering drawing at A-level. So I went to Birmingham School of Industrial Design at the College of Art in Birmingham. Uh, we used to have uh, sort of um, vacation jobs for about a month or two. And I went to a company called Echo Plastics in Southend. They're famous for radios, but uh, they got into plastics. And I was under a ch- chap called David Harmon Powell, who won a lot of awards of plastic um, houseware, like plates and dishes and so forth. Because plastic was big, you know, it was coming quite big then. Yeah. And I used to walk around the factory and look at all the processes. So injection moulding and compression moulding, which is when they mould things for radio sets in Bakelite. That's a compression moulding. Okay. You can't melt you can't melt it down and use it again. It's impossible to melt it down. But but injection moulding with styrene and stuff like that, you can melt down and use again. So I, I looked at all these processes. So that was that was a good sort of. Uh, grounding to get into you know designing plastic toys so before you went to palatoy had you designed any toys before then only ones that i made myself and gave to people before i went to palatoy after i left college i went to a company called tonks uh, t-o-n-k-s in birmingham and they made windows and automatic doors and things like that and so i, I was designing like uh, door handles in aluminium uh, for about six months and then this job came up for toy design i signed the paper in a place called Colville, so I flipping it that. <laughs> so I didn't have a car then, so I had to catch a train from Birmingham 
to Leicester and then get on a bus to Colville. And it went through some beautiful countryside, the uh, Charmond Forest. I jumped off the bus and there was this monolith, a clock tower. And then I crossed the road and there was all these people walking around with black faces. <laughs> there were coal miners just coming out from work. <laughs> so I thought, well, you know, a boy from Oxford, <laughs> where have I come to? But uh, the people were very friendly. You know, I couldn't find the place. And the people were very friendly. They directed me to this factory, which is tucked away around the corner. So, uh, yeah, that's how I started before I went to Palitoy. That's how I started. That's a, I mean, that's a, you know, and you arrived at Palatoy at such a fantastic time. Action Man started in 1966, where it essentially borrowed from G.I. Joe. So when you arrived in 1967, it was like a blank page. So you, you're working on Action Man. Did you work on any other lines at that stage as well, or was it just Action Man? My very first job was to decorate some pull-along plastic animals. They were on <laughs> wheels, and they needed, uh, there was a giraffe, and they had to have a you know, design of the giraffe on it for spray masks. So that's what I did first. There was another product we had called uh, Bonanza. From the TV programme? Yeah, they were from the American Character Doll Company. That's where we got Tressie and Tiny Tears from. So they did Bonanza. They were action figures. The characters couldn't sit on the horse. One of my jobs was to re-sculpt the the thighs. (laughs) 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 But my first job on uh, Action Man was to reconfigure the wheels on the the American personnel carrier, because it wouldn't fit in our box. So I had to make it so... Well, what it was doing, the wheels at the front were sticking out from the superstructure and they were damaging the box. The Americans had put in a, a cardboard insert to protect it. And of course, we wanted to save a bit of money and so forth. So I had to configure the wheels so they all the wheels all fit inside the, the outline of the blow moulding of the body. So it's cheaper to redesign the toy than to create lots and lots of bits of cardboard for the box. Yeah, yeah, it took the cardboard, the insert from out of the box. So it was just in the box on its own. And it didn't damage the wheels, not sticking out of the front of the blow moulding. It didn't damage the cardboard. Yeah, brilliant. That was a company down in South Wales uh, that was blowing it for us. That's fantastic. I've heard you speak before and said that you worked on the kind of non-military lines. The yeah, well, that's what I got into. I mean, I was a I was a sort of an idealistic young fellow just come out of college, you know. <laughs> and I didn't know Action Man when I, before I went to Palitoy. Didn't know it existed. I was a bit anti-militaristic, really. We got onto sports first. We did a footballer and a cricketer. So I designed the sort of little square base and the stand it went on and sculpted the cricketers pads and things like that and then we went on to uh, explorers and the reason we went on to explorers um, Les Cook who was in charge of Action Man at the time on the marketing side he did a bit of research with G.I. Joe when it first started with some kids it's about the first time they actually did some proper research one of the kids thought that the mountain and arctic soldier was Scott of the Antarctic or something. <laughs> and he was playing with it as Scott of the Antarctic. And that's that gave us the idea of going into exploration. I did a lot of research and I got the brochure from the polar exploration team that was going, that had just happened in, in the South Pole. I got their brochure and there was a photograph there of a sledge. So I designed the sledge from that photograph. And my boss, Bill Pugh, he uh, sculpted the, the little husky dog that went with it. So I designed all the rest of it, like the harness and, as I said, the sled. Well, I still haven't got, I still haven't got a sled. Been on the lookout for a sled. sled. 
for, for uh, ages. Have you got Have you got any of the little boxes? Yes. Yeah, I've yeah, got I, some, of the, some of the boxes. So I, I sort of designed that as well, and and then I went on to um, the Mountaineer. So I went to the Leicestershire Mountaineer Society and got a lot of information on that from them on crampons and pitons and all that stuff, you know. And then what was the other one? Oh, Underwater Explorer, another society that did underwater exp- exploration on wrecks and stuff. So I went down to see them and got things like the scuba gear and stuff like that to sort of design up for Action Man. So, yeah, I really enjoyed doing the... Of course, on the sports side, I designed the go-kart, which went into a large... You know, the Action Man outfits came in trays. Yeah. Uh, we did a big tray for the go-kart, so it was all laid out in bits. Have you got one of those? I haven't. You, you've, you're basically involved with some of the rarest ones, because the cricketer, the, the bales and the ball, yeah. impossible impossible to find. Obviously, they, they did them as the 40th collection. But the go-kart, yeah. no, I'd, lo- I'd love a go-kart. Um, I've got it. Oh, I've got it here, actually. I, I, I just remembered. <laughs> the original prototype. And what's that made of, Bob? I designed it, you know, based on something that was around. This is what happened with Action Man. It was always based on something that was there or was there, you know, historical or or um, something that was actually around. But, but I, I got some photographs of go-karts and um, designed it and then drew it all up. And I got this guy who was an engineer to weld it all together in brass. So that's made of brass. That's beautiful. And, and then, and, I, um, and and then was... I, tur- I turned up the wheels and made the engine block and I sort of hammered this seat out of a bit of uh, metal and so forth that was the go-kart would brass be is was that like a normal substance to make these things out of or was it just kind of what's what's the hand or what's best for that particular toy a lot of our prototypes we made had to go to toy fair and photography and uh other shows and so forth so you wanted them to be very strong you know pretty tough so I thought, you know, get it welded up in brass. If it gets dropped anywhere when it's at a show or something like that, because you only got one, <laughs> can only afford one. That's why I did it in brass. And the other line I know that you you're heavily involved with is the ceremonials, which you know, a, a classic toy. If anyone knows Action Man, knows knows the ceremonials. <laughs> and, and you've talked about doing research for these other toys. So as a, as a toy designer, how much of your week would have been sort of going out? seeing other people getting ideas and particularly with the army and those ceremonials were people generally receptive to you coming along and asking them questions oh yeah yeah i mean the ceremonial started with the um the grenadier guard we had a dress design department because palliatory but before action man came along it was all mostly dolls there must have been about four dress designers that designed dress dresses for dolls throughout the year and a machinist that machined them up the samples with the grenadier guard there wasn't much to do on that as regards plastic so they really designed the outfit and so forth but then bill Pugh, my boss he went to sterling castle which is the headquarters of the argyle and sutherland islanders it's their regimental museum and he came back uh, after the weekend must have gone up with his wife because she was she was Scottish and came from somewhere near there. He walked into the office dressed in the Argyle Sutherland Highlanders outfit. <laughs> that must have been some sight. <laughs> yeah, it was a bit of a sight when he walked in the office. <laughs> Brian Turner, he said he he said he, he glad he he was glad he didn't come with his bagpipes. <laughs> from there on, a lot of the other regiments wanted to, you know, piece of the action. So we went down to the household cavalry, Bill and I. 
and got all the information on the uh, the Blues and Royals and the lifeguards. And that was great because there's a lot of design work involved in that, sculpting and so forth. And uh, that led to other regiments like the 17th and 21st Lancers. Their regimental museum is at Beaver Castle in Leicestershire. It's owned by the Duke of Rutland. And he took us around the regimental museum. <laughs> and of course, they got a great big lance and we couldn't get in into, into Bill's car because it was too big. <laughs> so we had to send Brian Turner, who was the display manager in those days. We took sent him over in the van to get the uh, to get the uniform and the, and the lance. So you brought a whole uniform back? Every time we did it, Except for the Grenadier Guard, we got a full uniform, the full whack off the uh, regiment. Wow, brilliant. And of course, we had the horse as well. So I, I took loads of photographs of the horse saddle and all the stuff for the horse. You didn't bring a whole horse back then? No, we didn't bring a whole horse. <laughs> <laughs> and Bill Pugh, he sculpted the horse as well. I know how much Action Man is, is loved by the Americans and, and a lot of it goes over there and it's very sought yeah. after. And I, and for our listeners, I don't know whether they'll your sort of legacy with Action Man, because the, the years I'm, I'm around is the is the gripping hand, hand of Bob, um, <laughs> which which later went over to G.I. Joe as their kung fu grip. Can you tell <laughs> yes. us can you tell us about how you how you designed that? Yeah, I, I'll tell you about the hair first and go on to the hand. On the hair, that came out in nineteen seventy the real, realistic hair, and that happened because Bill, my boss, he was watching Tomorrow's World. Do you remember that programme, or was it too...? No, I remember Tomorrow's World, yeah. yeah. Maggie Philbin. It's all about, yeah, yeah. It's all about, you know, new things in, in science, wasn't it, that were coming out. And he was watching Tomorrow's World, and he saw this process called flocking, but it was called mollytexing. So he rang up the BBC because he had this brainwave, and said, you know, who's doing this molly texting? He said, it's a company down in Lutterworth. Well, that's just down the M1 from Palutoy. And this guy came, come in, chap called Peter Conaty, arrived into the car park in a car covered in different coloured blue flock. <laughs> <laughs> so he came into the office, and Bill's office, and I was with, with Bill with a, with a big suitcase. And out of the suitcase, he took a, a tea set, which is all flocked in different colours. <laughs> <laughs> So Bill, Bill took the action man head and said, can you put hair on him? And he says, yeah, of course you can. <laughs> Give me a few heads and I'll take them away. So he came back with the the method of doing it. At first, it, it, it was having problems with it because of uh, the humidity involved. Okay. The way it works is the, it's an electrostatic process with little tiny, what, two millimetre long filaments of nylon. Well, all these filaments are in a box. And you, you put the head onto a electrical sort of stick, <laughs> one to describing it, and you stick the head. Well, you, you paint glue onto the head, it's a resin, and then you stick it into this box. And of course, all the hair is attracted to the head and sticks to the, the resin. We're having problems with it, so they have to get this great big sort of humidifier in to keep the humidity down. So, what happened then is that Bill, he phones up his opposition in. Uh, Hasbro, Don Levine or somebody, told, tells them about this idea, the hair. So they send over a couple of guys to have a look at the process. They go back and they start putting it on G.I. Joe. Now, the story here is they got it wrong. Because <laughs> 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 when the kids started playing with their G.I. Joes, and if they squeezed the head, the resin cracked and the hair fell off. Because <laughs> <laughs> they, the, they used the wrong resin. It should have been a flexible resin, and they used this rigid resin. 
Now, Nick, Nick Farmer, who was the brand manager of Action Man at the time, he, he was a bit worried. He stuck an Action Man head with the hair on, on the gear stick of his Mini. And he drove around and he said he did, I think he's exaggerating, but he said, he, I did 50,000 miles and the hair never came off. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that, that was the hair. When you do a change to, to a product, particularly on Action Man, product uh, starts off, it sells well, and then it levels off. So you're always looking for something new to put on this product. So the hair was something that kept Action Man going. I don't think it's been bettered. I don't, you know, you look no. at modern toys, That's there's right. nothing that looks as good. You remember the boxes, and now with realistic hair, so, you know, it increases sales. So three years later, we were at the toy fair. At the toy fair, the... Um, the contractors would put up the stand, but we would dress the stand in toys because we were, well, we were designers. We were supposed to be creative, you know. So um, Bill used to come down with us and roll up his sleeves and join in and have a bit of fun with us, you know, and dress in the stands with the toys. He couldn't get Action Man to hold his rifle. And Brian Turner, he was display manager then, said, must have been him. He said, just stick a bit of Evo stick in, Bill, and it'll stay in there. He thought for a moment. He said, no, it wants a gripping hand. <laughs> so when we got back to uh, Colville, I sculpted the gripping hand. And so that's how the gripping hand came about. And that's from yeah. your from your own hand, though. Is that model on your own, own hand? Yeah, my own hand. I sculpted it. Yeah. So that was three years later. So that gives Action Man another boost. <laughs> so, so what happened three years later? Hasbro didn't want to be left out. <laughs> right, they took, as you said, they took that gripping hand and called it the Kung Fu Grip, which was great, wasn't it? What a great name. <laughs> Yeah. And so and do you think there's anybody else in the world who who has a body part that is so replicated? So that was made made for a good when did, yeah. when did you say the gripping hand was? Seventy seven, seventy six? Gripping hand was seventy three. Seventy three. So from seventy three through to eighty four, eighty five, millions of these things are being millions made. Of- Gripping hands. <laughs> yeah, in Britain and America and across, you know, Australia, every, you know, everywhere had Action Man. Um, I just wonder, I don't bet there's no one else in the world who's, who's a body part like that has been replicated so often. Well, I don't know. Perhaps um, uh, perhaps some sort of uh, toys for ladies, maybe. Maybe, maybe, yeah. <laughs> what, was the name? <laughs> what was the name of that, uh, <laughs> that fella? <laughs> um, I have to ask Pete that one, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, the, yeah. as, as I was saying, Hasbro then had to come up with the Eagle Eyes, didn't they? That yeah. was three years later. That was it. That was '76. The Eagle Eyes. So Hasbro came up with Eagle Eyes, did they? Yeah. That, that wasn't yeah. a Palatoy one. Okay. No. They didn't want to be left out. They only had it. They only had it on uh, GI Joe for about a year because they they cancelled GI Joe and they brought out that Super Joe then. Now with Eagle Eyes was the uh, was the next sticker to go on those boxes wasn't it you know, yeah now with eagle eyes now that was great on the tv i mean the hair didn't do much for advertising on tv um the, the gripping hands were great for play value because the kids could then grab all the things and yeah. you know and the eagle eyes on tv were great because when you're a close-up of the head when he looked that was fantastic so it's such a great toy, but this is this is a Star Wars. It is. Podcast. So essentially, <laughs> we get we get to 1977. Action Man's doing great, and then um, Star Wars. Along comes out. flipping Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me tell me what happened at Palatoy when uh, when when Star Wars came out. What, what was the process then? How did how did Palatoy end up 
making all these Star Wars toys or, or issuing well, all these Star Wars toys? I didn't have anything to do with that, obviously. Well, you know the story of Star Wars. It was designed and developed by Kenner. And you know the story of how Bernie Loomis got hold of the license and all that stuff. Yeah, we're scanning it from Mego turned it down. and Mego turned it down. I think didn't, didn't Mattel turn it down as well? Yeah, and they took and Kenner took yeah. the took the gamble, and it obviously obviously paid he, off. He, he took the gamble, yeah, and he, I think he signed, I believe he signed the uh, license for it without without seeing the film. So Kenner's got the license. <laughs> do they come over to to Palatoy? Do they approach Palatoy and say, "Do you want to start licensing these in in Britain? How does that work?" Well, of course, they want to. They, they want this is a big thing, isn't it? Star Wars. They want to put it all over the place. So they came over to Palutoy. So sci-fi films didn't really do well before Star Wars, did it? Did they? No. Regards toys. So people were thinking, not another sci-fi film with nothing to do, you know, not, not going to be very good. So people were thinking they didn't want it. Bob Simpson, who was MD, and Les Cook, who was marketing director, they wanted to, at first to give it to uh, Dennis Fisher, you know, our sister company. In, yeah, yeah. Well, I was going to ask you about the relationship between yeah. them a bit, actually, but. Yeah, they they wanted to give it, to, but they had six million dollar man. They Another classic that. toy, yeah. yeah. Now six million dollar man. I don't mean how many um, programs of that or how many series there were, but when selling a toy for for a TV series is okay because you've got that TV series to carry on for weeks and weeks and weeks. A film, if it bombs out at the uh, at the cinemas, you're stuck with the toys. Yeah. <laughs> You've got to sell them off at the markets you know, and discount them. So that's what people were worried about. Bernie Loomis said to, said to Les, you've got to take Star Wars. He said, Action Man's great. It's been doing well. He says, but Star Wars will last for 40 years. And Les said, Les said when he saw the film, he realised what he was talking about <laughs> because it was, to- it was toys right all the way through. And saying 40, I mean, because clearly it has been 40 years and it's going to be another 40 years at this rate what? of Disney <laughs> churning stuff out. That's right. <laughs> Bob, Bob, can I ask you a question? Do, do, do you know why he said that? I mean, was that because he'd seen the film or he, he was just getting a a heads up maybe from Americans? I mean, because that is a hell of a statement, isn't it, really, to, to say that? Because as you said, films did not do a great no, they, deal with toys. So They didn't. I mean, the only really... I think Disney, you know, Mickey Mouse and stuff like that was the only thing with films, wasn't it? Yeah, I just, I, I just wondered why, why that it, it kind of made that call because that is. You mean Bernie Loomis? Yeah, I mean, why, why did he think that that it, well, it, it you, could have longevity? I mean, I mean, had had he seen the film? Well, he was, um, what was he? He was, he, he was a vision, vision, he, man of vision, wasn't he? Because he, he, he did that program of um, animated cartoon series of Hot Wheels. But they had to stop it because the authorities in America thought it was advertising. And he, he had this vision. Of, and later on, he he did the same thing when Strawberry Shortcake came out. And, and uh, what he did, he designed a toy. He wanted to turn the tables on the um, cinema and TV. Instead of uh, doing a toy of a program on TV, he wanted to design a toy and get the TV companies to make the programs. Strawberry Shortcake and Care Bears. And that's what he was trying to do sort of trying to do with Hot Wheels. He must have been a man of vision, I think, to say to, to say that, you know, this is going to last for 40 yeah. years. Because he said about the TV shows, I mean, that, that happened, didn't it? Because, of course, He-Man was a toy and then yeah. you know, inspired the TV series. And we, you know, Transform was the same. We had a lot of stuff like that, that yeah. Toys First have, Then program. They must have relaxed the rules after that, mustn't they? Yeah, exactly. 
because there, there was quite a few of those that uh, yeah. the eighties were full of them, weren't they? The, uh, after, now after Star Wars, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean now you know Transformers is a multi-billion-dollar franchise. Yeah. You know, there's yes. cartoons, films, everything. It's from a toy He Man's come back as well. I mean, some big properties out there. Yeah. So what I, what I say is that there's no toy companies now. There, it's the child distraction industry. <laughs> Toys, you've got comics, you've got books, you've got TV series, you've got films, and it's all to distract the child from doing something else. <laughs> so, yeah, not doing anything creative. <laughs> and, and so did you did you go over to America as part yeah. of that that process? I did, yeah, because uh, after I went to see the film at um, the Dominion on Tottenham Court Road. Bill Pugh was was in Hong Kong. Uh, Bill used to go to Hong Kong twice a year. He used to go in in the spring when he used to take the designs over. And then he used to go in the autumn to check up and make sure they were doing it right. In the autumn, October, November time, he was in Hong Kong. But he got a letter from Kenner saying, uh, send send your guys over, you know, to get au fait with all this stuff's coming out with Star Wars. Uh, I I arranged with Secretary to, for me, myself and, Roger Morrison, who was totally managed to go over, and there was two others went over that were um, process engineers. So Roger and I went over, and we where did we go first? I think we went to Kenner first, and we saw the first shots coming off of the X-wing fighter and the Tie fighter. They were just starting to get mouldings off them off the injection moulding tools, putting them together. So we saw those, and I took a photograph of Roger holding both the X-wing and the Tie Fighter, mm-hmm. but I didn't get him to take a photograph of me. <laughs> <laughs> did you? Were you impressed by those toys? Considering you know oh, this, yeah. is a, this is a smaller, smaller scale than you're used to dealing with in toys, but very detailed, weren't they? Oh yeah, very detailed. I mean, Star Wars changed the way of play with kids, as far as we were concerned, because Action Man was really for playing in the garden. You know, yep. you put Action Man in camps and things. You threw bricks at him and, you know, and you got the tank, and which is a massive great thing. And all that stuff. when Star Wars came out, they could play with Star Wars in the bedroom. Yeah. Although yeah. still still many of my Star Wars toys are being found in my mum and dad's back garden for are they? <laughs> years after. Yeah. <laughs> but they were very, they were pretty well, de- pretty good. You know, they were good. We, we were very impressed. And um, did you, I, I think I've heard you say that when you were in America, you went and saw the, because my big thing is the die cast. Oh, yeah. Star yeah. Wars. Star Wars so I really, I love the die cast toys. Did you go over to, to where they were being made? Because I, I thought that yeah. some of this stuff was being made in Hong Kong and then brought over to America. Did they make a lot lot of it there? Yeah, well, I don't know if they made it there. Uh, they must have done. I don't know. Um, but uh, we flew up from uh, Cincinnati up to um, Detroit to Fundimensions. Fundimensions were an amalgamation of model train company and a plastic kit company, I think. They were bought by General Mills and put together and called Fundimensions. And they were the ones that were doing the die cast. So we saw some some of the work they were doing. I think the guy we spoke to there, his name was um, Paul Simon, but he wasn't the singer. <laughs> <laughs> the mate called Arts, did he? <laughs> yeah. Okay, and what about the twelve-inch line? Because I mean, again, I you know collect Star Wars, collect Action Man, but the the twelve-inch toys are not a patch on on Action Man. No. Did you have any involvement with that? Because that must have been quite strange, actually, creating the two toys side by well, side. That had nothing to do with us, really. Okay. Um, we I think Pally Toy took Luke and Leia 
and I think the other four others, you know, were given to Dennis Fisher. Explain that relationship. I mean, my knowledge here is from early Argos catalogues where you'd see yeah. Chad Valley, Dennis Fisher and Palatoy, particularly actually with the 12-inch toys, although I know Chad Valley never actually released any in the end, but they had the, the symbol next to them in, in the catalogues. Were you all one big family of toy companies or you competing companies? Dennis Fisher was bought by General Mills in 1971. Chad Valley, big into soft toys and yeah. stuff like that. Sooty. Sooty, yeah, and all things like that. And they did Escalado, didn't they? And they, they did think they did a roulette wheel and stuff like that because it when they first started Chad Valley back in 1919 or whatever it was they were the, known as the uh, toy company for the toffs. Okay, right. So they they did a roulette wheel and gambling stuff as well. You know, the children of the toffs had to learn how to gamble early. Gamble early, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and the and the Escalada was. Uh, well, it was horse racing, the, the sport of kings, wasn't it, horse racing? General Mills bought them in about 77, 78, but they, they became part of the Palitoy group. I think in 1979 or 80, they got rid of Dennis Fisher. They kept the name Chad Valley. All three companies were working off their own trade catalogues and they had their own sets of salesmen or sales ladies. Not many of those in those days, but so they were competing in that sense. But they were still part of the same uh, UK group of companies. They all came under Bob Simpson's sort of domain. And, and he got rid of Dennis Fisher and brought things like Spirograph into the Palitoy range, kept Chad Valley, um, but they went later. Palitoy had the 12-inch Luke and Leia, but Dennis Fisher produced some of the other figures. I uh, always thought that was... That was odd. And then Meccano did the Jawa. You know, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of this, the, a range of companies producing essentially the same line of toys, which always struck me as odd as as, as younger. Uh, I mean, it's funny because Dennis Fisher did a lot of Doctor Who, didn't they? Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah I designed the uh, K9 talking. Oh, it's another, <laughs> it's another, another fantastic. Because you, and what other talking toys did you do? Kojak's car, the Batmobile get that ozone voice unit inside the Batmobile, I had to make the, the dome much bigger. And it was solid, wasn't it? Yeah. I so, still remember it. Was it Step On It Batman, Holy Smokes Batman? I had mine, I got played with that to death, I did, and Brother of the Dalek. Yeah. Oh, I got involved with R2-D2 talking toy as well. I had to get the patterns made for that. What would, what would you be able to do today with modern technology? regarding these toys would they would they be much the same well, clearly the technology would be different but do you think you would do would you do different designs for them because of technology or would, or would they largely be be saying the same stuff just with microchips rather than maybe microchips wouldn't it so the the, the batmobile would be, look like a batmobile <laughs> yeah when palatoy started releasing star wars toys what what changes did you see at your workplace at, at the factory or where that Palatoy redesigned some of the toys. Were, were you involved? Were you involved in that? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the Death Star, isn't it? Really, the iconic Death Star. So what was your? Because you're known as as Mr. Death Star. Uh, yeah. Well, what's your involvement well, there? Why are you known well, as Mr. Death Star? Well, for my sixty um, fifth birthday, we went to the Isle of Skye for two weeks in a cottage. We found this uh, toy museum in the middle of nowhere. I thought we've got to go and see that, and we went in and. Um, it's a chap. It's like in his house, 
and he had toys all over the place. And in the corner, there was all these Star Wars toys. I got talking to him and I said, I said, I was the chief designer of the company that made that Death Star. He said, oh, are you? He said, can you sign it? <laughs> so he got a pen out and I signed the top of the Death Star. Of course, we went home. Later, he put on his website that <laughs> the story was kids would come into the, the museum and he'd take them around. He says, and they'd look at the Star Wars. And, oh, yeah, Star Wars. And he said, yes. He said, somebody came in and signed their name on the top <laughs> without me knowing. And then he told, told him, and he, he says it was the, he puts it on his website, he said it was the chief designer who designed Death Star. The real story behind the Death Star is 20th Century Fox had to protect their brand, didn't they, from knockoffs. They had a, an agency in London that did all that work. So that through that agency, we had to send things to get approved by 20th Century Fox. What happened was that they sent us the original mock-up of the Death Star, which was a cardboard thing sort of stuck together. So what we did, we redesigned it to make it work so we could actually make it and that the kid could put it together properly, yeah. easily. So what we did was we made some um, just white card mock-ups first. So we made it so that you could just get two pieces and fold them, put them together. It made a uh, central column down the middle. Brian Turner was with us on designing then. He got out of uh, display work and came on to product design. He had the bright idea of putting the um, the mirror at the bottom so it looked like it went on infinitum. And, of course, that sort of corridor thing that you put on, there was no way you could have made it on theirs, the way they had designed it, put it together, because they just stuck it together with bits of card. So we had to make it so the child could put it together quite easily. We had to do things like that. We, we put the um, trash compactor moving wall in. On the, on the graphics, we put... Uh, corridors that it looks like they were going away you know to get depth yeah and we also it's, added it's a uh, brilliant toy yeah we also added if the kid didn't have many stormtroopers we stuck some stormtroopers on and other you know engineers at, at um computer banks and things like that to make it look if you only had a couple of star wars figures you could play with it and then of course we had to design some of these some clips so the child could put it together easily onto the base they just stuck cannon on the top, so we, we put a little thing in there where you could put a, put a figure with two cannons and things like that. So and you reused reused those guns off the off, the X-wing fighter. Do, the X-wing. So, do you remember decisions like that then at the time? Was that someone just going, "Well, we've got some of these. We've got some of these. We'll use them." When when Star Wars came out, they didn't give us any money really to spend to to change any designs. We had to use basically what was lying around and. Uh, we, we had to design the clip, you know. We designed the little chute to go down, so we had to tool for that. We had to tool for the thing on the top and things like that, you know. They gave us a little bit of money for things like that, but um, there was no real money for injection moulding tooling. And, and were those so the tooling for the Death Star? Was that was that at Colville? Was that was that made in house? Is it printed there? I believe it was printed somewhere, and the mouldings would be sent to the printer, and it was packed out there. And then sent to our warehouse. Because also you redesigned the land speeder. Yeah, we took the, the, the bonnet. That, that was a cost exercise, really. Cut down a bit of tooling. And, like, and was that the same with the Death Star? It was because the, the Kenner one would be too expensive? Well, it would have been too, it would have been too expensive. But I didn't particularly like it. But, uh, no, but probably, you, I mean, yours, yours looks like the Death Star rather yeah, than... Yeah, 
than a, just a tower block, which the yeah, <laughs> the it looks capital. like a it looks like a segment from an orange cut in half. They probably wouldn't have loaned us the tools anyway because that's probably a slow running tool, and it probably they didn't probably didn't get many off it per hour, you know. So they probably want to keep the tools out and mould over in, in the states. There was probably that aspect about it as well. So for the tools for the the X wing and the land speeder, they would have sent those over then for you to sort of amend. Is that is that how it works? Oh no 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 no. Um, they sent us over the tooling aids. When Roger and I got back from the states, we had a letter from Norma Idler. Her name was. She was the sort of in between. She sent a letter saying that the tooling aids are going to arrive at your toolmaker Hardwick Wood, isn't it? The toolmaker was called. They were based up in Nottinghamshire. So they sent over the tooling aids. So the, the toolmaker would use those tooling aids to cut the steel to make tools for the for the X-wing and the land speeder. We've seen um, a film of them making the the Falcons over here. Oh yes, yes. Was that so? Because I again, I think of these things being made overseas, Hong Kong. What what decisions were made to why certain items were made here, certain ones were imported. What's the process behind all that? Well, size, basically, isn't it? Shipping. But the, the Falcon, we borrowed the tooling for to mould that here. It wasn't a very good um, mould, not a very good tool. And I don't think they sent it over. I don't think it was running very fast and they had to keep it or something like that. So Roger Morrison had to make a new tool to mould the top of the Falcon. In our last podcast, we talked about Takara and they they did some bizarre things with the star wars license you know they did like you know rocket firing r2d2s and <laughs> i mean you're talking about um they had to kind of get anything you did passed by 20th century fox but they seem to just come up with any old nonsense a wind up walking r2d2 it's <laughs> just like okay so i wonder why they they kind of had that sort of license to do stuff do you reckon it was just down to finances or or did 20th century That's fox not care where were they sold this takara stuff it was a japanese license only just, sold in Japan, was it? Yeah, well, I believe so. I, I would think any sort of like territories around the, you know, the place. But yeah, yeah, I was just wondering why they they got away with such kind of like. Well, Pasek did get away with it. I don't know. <laughs> I didn't even know they did that. I know they did some um, action man stuff. I was just wondering whether you actually came up with anything, you know, a bit bit mad. Um, did you try and put any of the kind of toy influences into sort of Star Wars toys? You know, make something a bit unique, or did you just follow the kind no. of no not really uh we had action man to sort out other things dolls and you know so our time was sort of precious really the only other things we did was to um to do a cost exercise on the play sets you know the cantina and so forth people have brought this up with with other toy lines especially things like um you know uh, girls toy lines you know, barbers and stuff that that all the accessories you can, you can get for their toys it would have been brilliant for star wars if you'd had like the 12 inch line with the kind of stuff where you could have with Action Man. You could have, you know, you yeah, could have all yeah. the four things in Star Wars, different costumes for the films. You could, I mean, you could have really gone down those lines and made some brilliant stuff. Yeah, I agree with you. Soon after Star Wars, um, General Mills was starting their, what they called global branding, where all the control was happening in New York at the at the um, General Mills, Mills Toy Group. Okay. So a lot of decision-making was, was out of the hands of Palitoy. You know, from from um, sort of nineteen eighty onwards. There's this really great iconic image on the base of the, the Death Star board, and you never get to see it. Who's who's idea? Yeah. 
<laughs> somebody, somebody else mentioned that. <laughs> don't get to see it, do you? <laughs> I've, I've got mine framed up on the wall. I've got, I've got an extra base, and I have mine framed up on the wall because it's fantastic to look at. Yeah. I'm wondering the best bit. You never get to see it. Yeah. yeah. I think if I was doing the Death Star again, I'd probably investigate doing it as a proper Death Star, so it was in the round, so that you had, you know, it was like a globe. So you had floors underneath as well. Well, people have taken two Death Stars and stuck them together. I'm sure they must have done. (laughs) But I think, I don't think it would have got through on cost, you know. Bob, we've got one of our um, uh, listeners and we did an interview with him recently. And he's actually uh, a guy called Lee Gregory. He's a really nice guy. Lee Gregory? Lee Gregory, and he's just right. he, he's he's just one of us, just a fan of Styles and all the toys. But he's making a best spin, you know, from the Empire Strikes Back. He's making a playset in the style of the Death Star. So he's you know, he's doing the tooling, he's doing the card, he's, he's doing everything. So any any tips for him? Any advice for him? <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't know. Uh, I'm sure technology's gone a long way since I was a toy designer. No, he's doing it old school. He's doing it old school oh, like is you. He? He's yeah, cutting yeah. up bits of card and stuff like cutting that. Cutting up bits of card, but it's absolutely brilliant. I mean, he's and, done a mock-up. It's absolutely fantastic. bits of plastic together and <laughs> <laughs> everything, everything. He's doing it. He's doing it from scratch, and it's it's you know, it's a real labour of love. He's taking all the kind of like the images that you guys used, and he's like updating them and sharpening them up. He, I mean, he's doing okay. a really good job. It is fantastic. And what's he making? Um, he's doing a Cloud City playset, so oh, yeah. uh, the best spin thing out of Empire Strikes Back where. Lots of action happened, so yeah, um, yeah. but he's doing it in exactly the same style as your as the Death Star. He just wants to, you know, do something in that style because I mean people well, love yeah. it. It's all and part of the heritage, isn't it? I mean, you probably seen the price that it goes for these days. I haven't actually, no. Well, it goes, it goes up by the week. You know, loose now. What was the last one? A couple of grand for a, a couple of pieces. It was about three or four pieces, and that was it. And he went for two grand, I think it went for on eBay. Yeah, they, they go for about eight nine hundred at the moment for um for and a box rest. one and and they're you know what two years ago they were probably half that i would it's not worth selling anything of star wars at the moment yeah. <laughs> yeah, a, a couple of years ago i picked up one with a ukg uh, acrylic case and it, it was it was a nice condition the box was pretty nice it was only about 450 quid i think it was it cost me I'd, I'd snapped it out before the show even opened. But we had that set of um, th- there was a toy shop in Wales and uh, a guy had been sitting on these these Palatoy uh, Death Stars and they're all still sealed, some in interesting oh. condition. And uh, every single one went for at least five thousand um, pounds upwards because they were still sealed. They were still in the, you know, they haven't been touched. But what, but they, what's the point of that? Still sealed. <laughs> well, no, no, because they'd been in a shop. You see, they'd been in, in, in an old shop stock. And uh, yeah. this guy passed away. His widow had I know, I uh, know, passed but away. Yeah. Why, why have something on your shelf that's sealed and you can't look at it? <laughs> well, it, it, it was just in a warehouse, effectively. I'm, I'm with you, Bob. I don't. I, I think mint and sealed boxes is just a nonsense, myself. <laughs> I mean, when I was at Palito, I could have got a load of those boxes and just stuffed a load of rub- rubbishy cardboard inside, sealed it up, sold them for 5,000 quid. Exactly. <laughs> it'd, never be, it'd never be unsealed, so you wouldn't know what was inside it. You say that I I've got um, a diecast X-wing in a in a brown card box doesn't look like anything at all but I sent it down to our uh, a lab down south and got them to X-ray it so I could see yeah. actually that there yeah. is what's in <laughs> what's in it is going to be in it but we yeah, take take your point wise man going back to 
the process at, at Palatoy, and, and this this goes to I think I think we were all there when uh, when you spoke uh, at Culver uh, at Matt Fox's show. Oh, don't remind and, me. <laughs> and we had the um, had the grey limbed stormtrooper there, and it was a sort of revelation. I remember you and the guys saying it was a sort of a, a, a test test thing. Were were other figures manufactured? over here or were they all generally imported from uh, the far over all, all I think they're all imported they were imported loose to start with and they had to buy some machines called illig machines to do the blistering and then after a while they I think it was must have been just before they went on to the trilingual stuff or something like that where they actually bought them in actually blistered so it's just okay. That's because that was what I was going to ask you that. So, so before the tri logo, the whole it came in lock, lock, stock and barrel, card bubble figure all, all together. I mean, we know some of the later Empire Strikes Backs were were manufactured here. I think because all the the card stock that was found at the at the factory that yeah. Jason's mate Toy Tony was uh, was churning out as as recarded <laughs> yeah. stuff. I heard about, I'm going to say mate is a very loose description of Toy Tony. <laughs> 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 Nemesis. Because the the ones that are actually blistered onto the card, they distort the card slightly, don't they? Yes. Whereas he was doing it with an iron or something. Yeah. So they all, and they, and he centered it. So he centered everything as well. It just slightly. Well, in, in retrospect, obviously, it fooled a lot of people for a, a great many years. But that process, so the, the the bubble and the cards were being attached in Colville. But the figures were coming from elsewhere to add to add yeah, to that yeah, process. Yeah, yeah, and then after a while they were bringing them in actually blistered. Ah, uh, see, so that okay, right? So, so the tri logos were coming in, and they and presumably because that was a European thing. Because that was another question. Got the lovely Palatoy logos. We've seen all the different changes of the Palatoy logo. There's sort of the, the just the written black one on the on the earlier toys, and then eventually we get this red, white, and blue Palatoy that us Star Wars fans know and love so much. And then that disappears uh, at the end of the uh, Empire Strikes Back range. Is is that is that the kind of the first sign of that globalization? There was Palatoy, there was Miro Meccano. Uh, who are the others? The German one. There were various companies around Europe, weren't there? PPB. I mean, Star Wars really. Star Wars toys was the first global brand really, uh, and that's what set it all off. This globalization and this global global branding. I mean, it was European brand, branding, really, but Palitoy became really just a distri- distributor, the same as the other companies around Europe. And that, all of the marketing um, strategy was done European-wise. And it was it was done at a, at a office in... Um, it started off in um, Windsor, I think, and then went to Maidenhead or vice versa. Because they're quite close to Heathrow Airport, so the Americans could come in, get in a taxi to the office, you know. So it was all happening there. And it was Palitoy that was given the task of organising it all. So sort of the, the lead. So uh, how, well, how did Palitoy become the lead? Well, what happened was the Americans wanted a lead. It was either going to be the French, Miro Meccano, or Palitoy. They wanted to go, being Americans, they wanted a little jolly, didn't they? So they wanted to have this meeting in Paris. <laughs> <laughs> in that posh hotel in Paris, Jeff Mays was in was was in charge of the marketing of Star Wars for Palitoy, and there's another guy over there I can't remember his name. So they both had to do a presentation, 
so Jeff did his presentation and um, and then this French guy got up to do his presentation with one of those uh, carousels. It was slides in those days. There's yeah. no computers. So you had to put all your slides in the right order around the carousel and you had to carry it to the projector and fit it to a projector to project onto a, you know, a flat screen. So he got he got up to do his presentation, walked across and dropped the ruddy carousel. <laughs> and all the slides came out <laughs> all over the floor. And Jeff said, Bernie Loomer sat at the back. He picked up an ashtray off his table and threw it against the wall, <laughs> got up and walked out and caught, caught the next plane back to America. So Palutoy <laughs> got to be lead. <laughs> and was the Meccano guy sacked? Do we know? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Could have all been so yeah, could have all been so different. <laughs> You'd have thought that France would have been the place to do it from, wouldn't you? Being sent sort of more central of Europe. So perhaps that's what they were thinking. But uh, that's what yeah. Palitoy got it. <laughs> so is there a parallel universe where he didn't drop that three foot <laughs> slides and they they got the contract, do you think? Yeah, probably. <laughs> you almost say like sliding doors. Yeah. Jason. Sliding doors, you see, you get it? <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll get my coat you talked earlier that how sort of reusing bits for the Death Star I think one of the other things you're most well known for is reusing some of the, the Star Wars line so you repurpose <laughs> the TIE Fighter to become uh, the Robo Skull can you tell no, me? no 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 everybody keeps saying it's a, a redesign of the TIE Fighter it's not it's not well, tell, tell us the story of the Robo Skull Robo Skull is action force and for the Americans, um, Action Force is very similar to G.I. Joe, three and three quarter inch. Just, just to tell you about Action Force to start with, Action Man was getting a bit of a kicking from Star Wars towards the end of the 80s. It was in, it was in 81 after Toy Fairs. Mike Taylor who was in charge of Action Man at that time. He came in to my office and said, we're going to do Action Man same size as Star Wars. I said, OK, yeah, what are we going to do? Uh, can we? getting designing it says no i want the 12 best action man outfits and uh i said oh, that's okay yeah we could do that um so we're going to do the scorpion tank and the uh the land rover as well he says no i want some new vehicles so my boss who, who was john hawks at the time bill pew had gone on to the european side of the business he got a company in called raffle and pape to design some vehicles and i concentrated on the figures in 1982 when we showed it the prototypes at January Toy Fair. It was just before the American Toy Fair because they are there. There's in February. So in February they brought out GI Joe with the with the bending arms and the bending knees because they they've been working on this for longer than us. They they must have had two or three years to develop this this nine nine point of articulation figure. Whereas we had to copy the Star Wars design to get it out out in time. Okay, I was, you know, yeah, I was wondering why they were they were yeah. different. I did do some designs of uh, bending knees and stuff, but we just didn't have the time to get it right and get the tooling done. So we had to copy the Star Wars five points of articulation. Action Force went out as like mini action men in the first year with these different vehicles. In 1981, the whole of the Palitoy management team, Bob Simpson, who was managing director, Les Cook, lots of others, they all up and went or got pushed by the <laughs> by General Mills because of this global branding. So in 1982, we had a new set of marketing people 
a chap called Andy Lowe was in charge of Action Man and Action Force. Because he was new, he wanted to put his mark on things. So he wanted to change Action Force to a fantasy concept. But he didn't give us any much money to make new tooling. So we had to use all those figures, take a leg off here, an arm off here, a head off here, recolour it. And we came up with the idea of the teams. So you had Baron Ironblood and the Red Shadows. And you had the Z-Force, the uh, SAS, the Space Force and the um, Q-Force, which is underwater. So we designed this complete new range, but using all the components from the original Action Force. And the figures that Rafa and Pate had designed, which are now tooled up, they were, they were good because we could muck around with those, change them and recolour them and everything. So it looked like a completely different brand of toys. The next year, I'd been designing things and I thought, these Red Shadows and Baron Ironblood, they need a fantastic vehicle. So I sat down and I was sketching loads of different ideas, all based around the skull, because the skull and crossbones was their logo. Yeah. I must have been subliminally influenced by the TIE Fighter, I think. But... Uh, the one I picked out was this flying machine with wings, triangular wings that turned so that you could take off vertically and then turn them so you could fly you know, through space. So what I did, I, I did a few more sketches and then I got some clay and I sculpted it up, the skull. And I got some plastic and stuck bits of plastic together and made the wings. And then I sculpted up a, a pilot, which was the Skeletron. I sculpted him up took it to the new products meeting. Now, the new products meeting is is uh, marketing and design, basically, and there'd be the sales director as well. Manufacturing wouldn't come in at that stage. When we had new ideas, they'd go to the new products meeting, be discussed and so forth. So they looked at the skull on the table and they said, crikey, I've got to have that. I said, well, that's the pilot. He says, oh, no, we want a different pilot to him. We'll sell him separately. <laughs> so I had to go away and design the Red Wolf. So that's how, that's how the uh, Robo Skull come about. Because the pilot, I called the pilot Robo Skull. I can't remember what I called the, the actual Robo Skull, the vehicle. And they said, no. When they looked at him, said, I said, that's Robo Skull, the pilot. They said, no, that's the Robo Skull. That vehicle, that's the Robo Skull. Go and design another. And, with, and I think he, he ended up as a mail away, didn't he, this Skeletron? Yeah, I must say, I'm not. A, I was a couple of Action Force, but it was always Action Man for me. So I never. So. so there might, there might have been some, some subliminal sort of in, influence from TIE Fighter, but I didn't consciously go out and say I'm going to design a vehicle based on the TIE Fighter. Okay, well, actually, it's weird you say that, subliminal, because the sure, in one of the more recent films, one of the TIE Fighters there does exactly what you just described, the Robo Skull, so that the wings rotate to go away, so they've obviously been influenced <laughs> influenced by you. In the well, that's nice. that's nice to know. <laughs> I'm sure there's something like that in there. And, and I suppose it's the way you describe it, I mean, essentially this is the pieces of art, aren't they? Do you, because you're sort of part of an industry and you're designing these to be mass-produced, do you have the same um, sort of sense of ownership as maybe, you know, a sculptor or an artist would be that was commissioning a single single piece what does what process goes on in your mind when you when you're making these pieces was it just a job or is it well it, that? It, it, it was just a job i mean if i'd have known what what it's like now with collecting i would have i would have rammed my loft garage yeah <laughs> rented out some containers <laughs> and stuffed it full of toys <laughs> but uh, i just kept a few bits you know but but it was it was just a job um since the since i've been aware of the collecting business it's 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 very satisfied to know that 
you guys, you know, you 40-year-olds or whoever you are, that were kids at the time, really took to these toys, you know. It's really yeah, and it's, and it's amazing because, I, I, you know, I've got, got three kids here. They're all into that. Actually, the youngest, she loves her Sylvanian families. Oh, and, yeah. And that is, in my mind, that's that's of the same kind of play value as my, my childhood toys. But yeah, my son, you know, he's, he had his Ben 10 figures. It was briefly interested in, but it's all it's all video games. And I don't think yeah. that in a generation's time, they're going to have the same um, sort of sense of nostalgia um, over over these kind of action figures of what, you know, what 12 inch, three and three quarter inch, whatever size, it's a different way of, of playing with toys today. And I, and I think it's you know, sort of golden age, as far as I'm concerned. You know, that was, the we 70s, were, yeah, the 70s was the golden age, yeah. What started off, you know, that I think we're all the same as collectors, you know, you start sort of reliving your childhood, you, you kind of think, oh, this is it's a bit weird, is, is anybody else doing this? Is it just me that's buying up my old toys? And then with the advent of the internet facebook and there's there's thousands of people out there <laughs> doing it doing exactly the same thing so you know you you and and your colleagues and and likewise of the other people across the world doing the same kind of things really have impacted so many people's lives you certainly should be certainly be proud of of what yeah, you're doing it's very satisfying really to know that you know i've been part of that yeah. and my, well, my colleagues feel my colleagues feel the same you know yeah, thanks. Yeah, it's, it's it's really you know it's creative, fantastic designs that gave that gave joy to you know millions of children. It's it's brilliant. Do you remember anything of the the Palatoy factory shop? Oh, of course I do. Various theories. We talked about the grey limbed stormtroopers yeah. and and the sort of theories that they they were you know they seemed to be concentrated around the Colville area. Were they coming out of the of the factory shop do you think do you think that's that's feasible or do you think they're going home with with employees uh, how many great gray limbs are there out there i, I don't know uh, pete jason there's certainly there's certainly tens of them i think uh, jason joiner seems seems to remember i think this tales of sort of early days at toy fairs with quite a lot of them uh, um, at these shows at the Palatoy talk, we talked about the the Disco Boots Death Squad Commander, and you said that was probably sold in the in the shop because th- all those were found around Koval as well. Yeah, probably. It was a great shop. And do and do you remember? Because you get a lot of sealed Star Wars toys, so it looks like it's just come off the shop shelf, never been opened, but the nameplate's been cut out. You can either, you know, if you can send those off and get yourself a free figure. You're going to be an odd kid to leave the one figure on the card to cut <laughs> out the name to send yeah. up another one. And we think we've seen it in uh, sort of the Kenner factory shops. They might uh, cross out the proof of purchase, so you couldn't send that in for um, a free toy. So wondering whether do they do they cut out the name plates in the shop? Do you remember? Do you remember seeing sort of does that ring any bells or it's barking up barking up the wrong tree there? Well, it could I could have done. I don't know. Um... A lot of the stuff that went in the factory shop was stuff that came back from retail stores. So they might have the price ticket stuck on. So you can't really sell it off again. So they go in the factory shop. So whether they were cut off by the retailers and sent back, Ah. (laughs) you know, they cut them off and gave them to their kids or something. They did that with records, didn't they? When records go back to the uh, the wholesalers, they punch the sleeves so that it can couldn't be returned 
Uh, that's in, that's interesting. But you, if you, if you, you see a lot of those Star Wars figures in the factory shop with the with the price stickers on, you know, which have come back from from retail. Right. Okay. And what else? What else do you remember for Sarah? I think we we did want to talk to you about. Um, you mentioned board games. Uh, you, you went on went on to those. Um, but you also were you not responsible for some of the the kind of the non toy games coming out of Star Wars? Was Destroy the the Death Star? Was that was that one of yours? Yeah, that's that big plastic thing. Yeah. Be the Parker one came out just for Christmas, didn't they? In seventy seven. It's one of the only things that got out, wasn't it? Yes. Because yeah. they were still pulling up the figures and everything. And we took that, and I think that went into general sales. Um, but we had this product called Salvo. Now, Salvo was a, a battleship game. And it, it, the principle inside the game, it's a, it's a, it must be about a couple of feet across or something and by 18 inches. And it's a big plastic molding. But inside is the Etch-a-Sketch okay. mechanism. Somebody sent in this mock-up with the etch-a-sketch principle and I, re- I redesigned it so it could be molded you know the etch-a-sketch you turn two knobs yeah it moves a stylus and it sketches a picture depending on how you move them you can move a, a light underneath the plastic molding right instead of the stylus mm-hmm. so you move the two knobs till you get it there and then there was a button you pressed the light came on and if it was underneath the ship you wanted to get to it was blown out of the sky. So that was Salvo. though. When Star Wars came out, marketing said, oh, we'll turn that into a Star Wars game. <laughs> so that's what we did. That's what I did. I, I redesigned it all, the, you know, the look of it and everything and the mechanism. And all, but underneath, it was all the same. Okay, the right. The, the oh, it's, a, it's a really big box with, with Paltos. They did a number of different games that all came in this massive box. I mean, I've got... As well as having the Death Star one, I've got uh, Escape from Colditz, and it's exactly the same size box. With this, you know, they, they did they did a lot in that size. Yeah, it wasn't. I don't think Colditz was as big. I think it's the same. Is I it? mean, I've got both. I think it's the same size. Yeah, it's a massive box. I know it's a great big board. It's quite a big board, isn't it? Playing board. Yeah. That was that was designed by uh, Major Reed, who was the escape officer at Colditz. <laughs> <laughs> he wrote all the books on, you know. About the cold, the, the coldest story, wasn't it? And then the BBC took it up and made the series during the um, was it the seventies or the eighties? It's, I think it was the seventies. Seventies. Was he involved with the the Action Man Escape from Colditz? Oh, yeah. that, that's my absolute favourite. The Action Man Lion. That's my absolute yeah, yeah. favourite escape. He got from he got involved in that. Um, and we also did an um, an escape kit. An action. It was an Action Man Escape Kit. It was a cold. It's escape kit anyway. We had a. You could design a, a little printing machine out using a, a clothes peg. Right. No, okay. And, I don't think that's man. You could mold. You can mold the type with this sort of gelatine stuff. And it's for kids. It was more like a little craft item, I think. He was. A, he was a character. He was. Wow. I had to. I had to ring him up a few times on things to get things right. You know. Because <laughs> he, he was a stickler for getting everything. Everything right. Is is there going to be a dedicated Palatoy Colville Museum at any point in a in well, a kind of designated building? At the moment, it's sort of we get these exhibitions or you know a, a panel did, somewhere did you, else. Did you come to the many faces of Palatoy? I did, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. really, I brought the whole family and and we all enjoyed that loads. And something like that as a, as a permanent fixture, yeah. I could well, see you really that's working. What, that's what I'd like, uh, but um, it's money, isn't it? <laughs> 
these days. And it's like um, labour and love, you know. Yeah, you're not. It's got to be. You know, you got to get lottery funding or something, haven't you? Really. Well, we got lottery funding for that, uh, and not only did uh, did we do that exhibition, we're doing other things with schools with that lottery funding, and we're setting up a website. So when that's working, I'll let you know. Because yeah. what on that website we'll we'll have links to the collectors' forums and things. Hopefully, that we might get a small museum in a Colville Heritage Museum. We might get a small corner <laughs> for the toys. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think I think it's important. I mean, you, you go to any toy. I mean, the fact you went to one on on Sky. Whenever we're out and about, we go to toy museums, and whether yeah. it's from Victorian toys. I mean, in Sheffield, where I am. They had one in Western Park Museum. They had an exhibition on dolls' houses through oh, the yeah. ages, yeah. and loads of people yeah. go along and see because it's because if it's different from what's today, yeah. pe- people are interested. So there's a nostalgia element for people who remember it, but there's also oh that's in, that's interesting. Look what they had then, and we're get we're getting to that stage, aren't we? Really, yeah. certainly yeah. certainly the earlier Palatoy toys. Yeah. Yeah, we are, certainly are. <laughs> Makes me feel old. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you keep collecting them. Yeah. You keep, no. keep saving them. And, you know, what, what are people going to do when they get to my age and they've got all these things? They'd be landfill again, I would have thought. <laughs> <laughs> Before General Mills, it was, owned, it was, it was called Castelloid. Right, and, okay. And it was, called the, it was called the Toy Division of Castelloid. And Palitoy was just the brand name. And that was Mr. Pallet, was it? Mr. Pallet, he owned, well, he, he, he retired in the war. Castelloid carried on. In 1935, they came up with the name Pally Toy Playthings for the for the brand of toys. And then it changed from Pally Toy Playthings to Pally Toy. In 1937, they set up the factory in Colville, right? Yeah. Up to 1968, when General Mills took over, it was it was known as the toy division of BXL, because BXL owned Castelloid. Yeah, OK. <laughs> BXL, when I joined, was called Bakelite Xylonite Limited. <laughs> Slips off the tongue, doesn't it? It does slip off the tongue. But when it when when they bought Castelloid, they were known as British Xylonite Limited. Well, thanks very much, Bob. We won't okay. keep you any longer. Yeah. Brilliant, Bob. See you next show. talk Waddington's pretty much jigsaws isn't it so uh what's the biggest ever jigsaw how many pieces Ten thousand. Ten thousand. 10 000 anyway any bigger than that smaller we are higher 
Way higher. 50, What's the world 50, record? 50,000. 50,000. Anyone, anyone go higher than that? A million. Jigsaw that I've done myself or just the biggest in the just world? Just the biggest ever. 200,000 pieces. I'll tell you what it is. It's, it's well, half a million. Oh, it's it, close. Oh, well, yeah, close. exactly. A bunch of uh, students, apparently, at the University of Economics of Ho Chi Minh City in Vietnam. And it was 551,232 pieces. And it measured about 48 feet by 76 feet. You wouldn't want to finish that and find this piece missing, would you? How, how much of it was oh. sky? I, I hope some. Right, what about the biggest commercial jigsaw? So the biggest commercial jigsaw sold. So you could go into the shop and buy this. And it happened, actually, last year. How many 50, pieces? 50,000. 10. 54,000. Uh, but it was called Travel by Art by a company called Graphica. 864 centimetres by 204 centimetres. Doesn't sound that big, does it, really? That's an eight metres by two metres. That's still pretty big. That's bigger than most. <laughs> know, you, have but... have a, uh, you have to have that on the floor. You can't have that on a table. I was expecting a small field. Why is the Wikipedia logo a jigsaw, obviously, if you think about it, but why are the pieces missing? Because that's the bit that you've got to put in yourself. Well done, Jace. Look at that. Dead easy. Jigsaws. Love jigsaws. Now, uh, obviously, this lockdown and the last lockdown, lockdown before that, uh, my dear old mom wanted to do some jigsaws because she had nothing better to do. And I gave her a hand and uh, we got a few jigsaws. Uh, someone get, sent us some Star Wars ones. We had this monstrous jigsaw, huge thing. I think it's a thousand pieces. Couldn't finish it because the, there was so much black in the picture. Um, we couldn't tell one from the other. It just took too long. So we gave up on it. Isn't that sad? Sad jigsaw story. But as a kid, I've got to admit, jigsaws were the last thing I would have ever wanted as a present. I can't even remember having a jigsaw as a kid. I might have had some of those kiddie ones, big ones with like five pieces, but I definitely weren't a jigsaw. Now, going through you lot, Andy, you were definitely a Cub Scout, so you probably had jigsaws coming out of your ears. Spoons were usually quite similar. I reckon you were a jigsaw person. How can you like that? So, Jason, you were you're too old for jigsaws. They weren't invented back then. And Richard, you'd have definitely been slapped around if you had a jigsaw. So let's go through. Was I right, Mr. Preston? Yeah, I had a few jigsaws. I wouldn't say I was a massive fan as a kid. Um, I think I had a couple of these Star Wars jigsaws. I seem Ooh. to remember the, uh, the 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 movie scene ones. So yeah, oh. they, they they were definitely a favourite. Uh, but uh, yeah, no major memories of uh, of being a massive jigsaw fan. Uh, it's more recently, actually. My my wife likes doing the odd jigsaw occasionally, and I will feign uh, ignorance. I don't want to know about this jigsaw, but then there's something addictive about a jigsaw, isn't oh, there? there? When is. it's when it's there laid is. out there on the board, yes. and you just happen to stroll past. And you have a little dig in the box, and you oh, that piece will fit in there. And exactly. the next, next thing you know, an hour's gone by. Do you have a system? Because, see, I was helping my mum do this circular jigsaw. So it was a beautiful image of kings and queens and stuff. And at first I said, oh, I, I just let her do it. She just, you know, get on with it, give us something to do. And then I started kind of, you just join in and go, well, I've, I've got a, what we'll do is we'll look at the picture. And it was irritating because the picture on the box wasn't complete. So you had to kind of guess. It was a bit difficult, a bit silly. We put all the reds together and all the blues together, and and you kind of have a little system go from there. Then then just concentrate on a small area, and then yeah, you know, see if you can link it up. So do you have a system? Yeah, pretty much that. I mean, you've got to start with the corner pieces first, haven't you? Of course, yeah. Yes. Cor- corner pieces and edge pieces, yes. and then uh, yeah, little piles 
piles piles is the way to do in jigsaws isn't it piles, piles of reds and piles of blues and anything that anything that looks like it goes together and then you start sorting your piles out and piecing it together and you must always sort your piles out andy that's a very important lesson in life especially for men that's good around 45 plus very good advice indeed so uh spoons you like i said you were probably sent to me probably didn't bother with jigsaws you're exactly right pete they're yeah. always um, we always had jigsaws around the house i think maybe when i was very young you know sort of very basic jigsaws i probably had, had some i don't remember having any or many certainly older certainly not something i did but a bit like andy just said then if someone is doing a puzzle so my my uh, eldest daughter she's very much into her jigsaws and if we go away stay stay in a rainy british holiday holiday house has normally got a cupboard with jigsaws in we'd, we'd probably do one of those and it's so difficult to walk past and not put a piece in and then you suddenly have to do another one and another one and andy do you do you steal your kids chips when they have chips and you don't do you do you walk behind them and nick the chips well the you the point there Pete was when they have chips and I don't that would never happen okay they, they would have chips when I have chips but yeah no I would if I didn't have any chips yes I would steal their chips so it's the same thing basically you're nicking the chips you're nicking their glory you're nicking their jigsaw glory yeah well because then there's the jigsaw etiquette of the last piece if it's someone yeah. else's jigsaw you couldn't do that and and uh, my other half she's quite competitive as well so uh, oh. starts starts racing she she gets annoyed if i if i start on a little uh, on a little roll but um but yeah I do, I do like a jigsaw i don't think i would ever sit down and think right what am i going to do today i'll do a jigsaw that it's yeah it, the thought of starting one doesn't really appeal but if there's one on the go i yeah i'd struggle to uh not put the odd piece in so jason uh looks i was a bit harsh there to be fair uh, saying that you were pre-jigsaw era but i reckon in, in scotland not a great deal to do it's either sitting in front of the fire knitting or jigsaws really i guess completely wrong massively into jigsaws as a kid and it was a family activity so mm. we'd kind of work on all the bigger jigsaws together in fact when i go back up to the north of scotland to see my Mum and dad and my sister, we would at least do at least one jigsaw while I'm there. Maybe How two. big, Jason? How big are these jigsaws? Um, jigsaws up to about 5,000. Biggest 5, ones. The ta- biggest table, probably about... Biggest we've ever done, probably about 5,000 pieces. Oh, but that is big. Over over 1,000, definitely. We wouldn't, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't undertake a jigsaw that was less than less than 1,000. That's a proper um, family mission, that is. Yeah. All, all of us have different techniques. And my technique would be to look at the easy bits that are there are to do in the in the in the picture, do those, link those areas up, and then work on the more difficult bits. Um, one of my sisters would say, "Okay, I'm starting with the edge pieces, and we just have the edge, and then work in." Whereas my mum, if it was a big jigsaw, she would basically say, "Right, I'll start at the top, and, and it might be like a knitting machine. So invariably, at the top of the jigsaw would be the sky." which is the most difficult bit. So she'd do that first, and when it was done, push the whole jigsaw up the table and then do the next bit of the jigsaw, the next kind of middle bit, do that, push the jigsaw up, and then do the bottom bit. And they said, well, if you do it that way, you're not kind of leaning over and stretch all the time. So uh, lots of different techniques, but yeah, lots of fun, great family activity. I wonder if there's like professional jigsaw competitions. You could enter your family in there, uh, Jason, and win trophies. I I would say if, 
on any given jigsaw, I would probably kick your asses on on finishing it because I've I've done a lot over the years. So. I wouldn't even prepare to uh, to offer you up on that. I'd just give up. Yeah, you know, I mean, we, I gave up on a thousand piece jigsaw, Jason. So, you know, it just it was just too much black around the edges. It was really good the middle parts, but last black. one I did was one. Of, it was one of these world's hardest jigsaws. It was like Brussels sprouts. So it was like a big picture of Brussels sprouts. All the sprouts are the same, and it's double sided. But of course, the way that they printed this, the way they printed it, you could tell which side was which. So it's like a one-sided jigsaw. So it was quite easy, really. Oh, I, oh, that's, that's oh, yeah. Right, Richard, you would have been slapped around jigsaw, so it's probably not even worth speaking to you. Well, you were wrong, Pete. Absolutely loved jigsaws. Oh my god. Um, never had a Star Wars one that I remember, which was a real shame because I would have loved some Star Wars jigsaws. The ones that I had that I remember doing were ones more about maps because I used to love maps as a kid. So I had like a map of the world as a jigsaw. And I had a map of the UK as well as a jigsaw with like lots of funny little symbols and funny little people representing different parts of the of the whole country that I loved doing. But it was very much a solo effort. Um, I would have, I think, I'm sure I had a board or like my dad had made a, bit, a wooden sheet or something with a little frame around the edge to put my jigsaw pieces in. Um, but I use different methods. Sometimes I'll go corners and sides. Sometimes I'll do what Jason did and perhaps um, do a part in the middle and then go to corners and sides. Uh, there's, there's no one method for me. I just I don't know. I haven't done one for a long time. Your sister break it up and annoy no, you. No, she what? wouldn't dare. She, would, she was just so clumsy. She probably would have tripped and knocked it on the floor and then been killed. But yeah. See, I'd, I'd have thought you, you had a story about you know she you know, mix a few pieces up and maybe stolen a piece just to annoy you. Waddington's was a manufacturer of card and board games in the United Kingdom. The company was founded by John Waddington and Wilson Barrett under the name Waddington's Limited. The name was changed to Waddington's House of Games, then in 1905 John Waddington Limited, then Waddington Games and finally just Waddington's. A sample of some of its publications, Buccaneer, Blockbusters, Cluedo, Monopoly, Escape from Atlantis, Sorry, Subutio and Risk and the company was bought by Hasbro in 1994. During World War II, the British Secret Service hatched a master plan to smuggle escape gear to captured Allied soldiers inside Germany. Maps were hard to smuggle as they fell apart when wet, and they made a lot of noise when unfolded. Allied officials feared paper maps might draw the attention of German troops, so they turned to an unlikely source for help – silk. Not only would silk maps hold up in all kinds of weather, but they'd also come with the life-saving benefit of being quiet. To produce these silent maps, the Brits turned to John Waddington Limited, a company that had recently perfected the process of printing on silk and was already manufacturing silk escape maps for British airmen to carry. What else was Waddington known for? Monopoly. Suddenly, the popular board game seemed like the perfect way to get supplies inside German-run POW camps. At the time, the Nazis were hard-pressed to get provisions to their own troops, much less the Allied soldiers they'd captured. Wishing to hide this less-than-stellar upholding of the Geneva Convention, they happily welcomed Red Cross aid packages for POWs. So throwing Monopoly games into the care kits, along with food and clothing, was met with little scrutiny. Monopoly was already a well-known game throughout Europe, and the German guards saw it as the perfect way for their detainees to remain occupied for hours. In 1941, the British Secret Service approached Waddington's with its master plan and before long, production of a special edition Monopoly set was underway. 
For the top secret mission, the factory set aside a small, secure room, unknown to the rest of its employees, where skilled craftsmen sat and painstakingly carved small niches and openings into the game's cardboard boxes. Along with the standard thimble, car and Scotty dog, the POW version included additional playing pieces, such as a metal file and a magnetic compass, all neatly concealed in the game's box. Also, some of the Monopoly money was real German, Italian and French currency, placed underneath the play money for escapees to use for bribes. Also, because of its collaboration with the International Red Cross, Waddingtons could track which sets would be delivered to which camps, meaning escape maps specific to the area could be hidden in each game set. Allied soldiers and pilots headed to the front lines were told to look for the special edition game if they were captured. The identifying mark to check for? A red dot in the corner of the free parking space. By the end of the war, it's estimated that more than 35,000 Allied POWs had escaped from German prison camps, and while there's no way to set an exact figure on it, more than a few of these escapees certainly owe their breakout to the classic board game. Despite its brave and noble role in all of it, Monopoly's heroic war deeds would go unrecognised for decades. Strict secrecy about the plan was maintained during the war, not only so that the British could continue using the game to help POWs, but also because Waddington's feared a targeted reprisal by German bombers. After the war, all remaining sets were destroyed, and everyone involved in the plan, including the escaped prisoners, were told to keep quiet. In the event of another large-scale war, Allied officials also wanted to make sure the seemingly innocent board game could go back into action. Right, let's move on. Andy Preston, I think you're, we normally come to you for a bit of a rundown. The rundown's pretty short. Pretty much, is it not just Star Wars and, and uh, Return of the Jedi? And that's it, isn't it? Yes, Pete, Star Wars Jedi, but you've forgotten one very important piece of the puzzle. No Ooh. pun intended. What have I forgotten? Uh, you've forgotten the Ewoks. Uh, well, yeah, you can understand why I've forgotten that, to be fair. We'll come to them. Uh, yeah, yeah, maybe so, we'll cut that out. 1978... First release were four jigsaw puzzles featuring movie scenes. These were 150-piece, large-piece puzzles. Um, so they come in black boxes with a big picture on the front of the movie image that the jigsaw is of, obviously. Top left, Star Wars logo. Top right, Waddington's logo. And, yeah, there were four of these. Um, so you've got Han Solo and Chewbacca. So they stood there um, in the Death Star hangar bay uh, outside the Millennium Falcon, both firing their blasters. You've then got uh, Entering the City. So this is Luke and Ben and the droids in the land speeder stopped by uh, sand troopers. And uh, um, Ben's using the force and bluffing his way through. Uh, next one is Inside the Millennium Falcon. So you've got uh, Chewie and Luke and Obi-Wan and Han Solo uh, in the Millennium Falcon. Just stop there, in the, Andy. In Just the cockpit. There. Yes. Just stop there. I, that's the image you see I'm looking at going... Did I have that as a jigsaw? And I'm just remembering, was that not the, the reverse of the tops cards? I'm trying to think why I remember putting that image together. Because I remember putting, putting together the console going, what the hell's that? Putting the tops cards together like a jigsaw. Yeah, you, you know, you have the on some of the, the cards on the, the reverse of the The reverse of the cards. Oh, yeah. I'm sure I didn't have a jigsaw. Yeah, now there, there was a Tuscan Raider, wasn't there, on one of them? There Chewy. was there was the Hilda cartoony, Hilda cartoony image of the Hildebrandt poster. Yeah. That's right. There was Chewy on his own. Was there a fourth one? Perhaps it was this one. I'm sure it was because I remember putting that console together, going, "What the hell's that?" I thought it was some robot's head. 
And then, of course, it was the console. So maybe it's something else, I don't know. But anyway, keep going, Andy. Well, there we go. So that's that, that's three. And the fourth one, classic image, the droids on Tatooine. So you've got uh, R2-D2, you've got 3PO standing next to him with his arm on R2's head. And then you've got Evaporator in the background and a little bit of the Lars homestead. Um, so they're stood there in the desert. So those are the four jigsaws. And I'm sure I had two of them. I, I seem to remember having R2 and 3PO. Sure, I had that one. And then possibly the entering the city one as well. Look at that R2 uh, one. Look at R2-D2 one. Look at, that. Look at all that space on the left-hand side but lots and lots of very very shallow blue and then lots of sand <laughs> that, that would not be an easy one would it oh that as a kid that would have really annoyed me as an adult like, it would annoy me. i know we've talked about this image before pete but what's different about r2d2 on this particular puzzle on this this image oh well he's got lots of he looks very dirty with lots of white bits on him but not quite sure what's happening there he is very dirty he's got lots of white bits what he hasn't got is blue bits He's it's got, got on his, his arm, he's got blue, but, see, but yeah, all that blue's been kind of like soiled out. I don't know whether it's they painted him or I wonder what that is. It's not. This was a photo, this was a behind the scenes photo that was taken apparently, and actually that is not R2's body. I think that is R5D4's body. So <laughs> the, the the R5D4, I, I think there was a repaint job gone on while they were out in Tunisia. Richard, what be your focus? Either R5 was repainted to R2 or R2 was repainted to R5. One of the bodies was repainted, and this was a shot taken in between. So there you go. R2 is there uh, without his uh, distinctive colour scheme. Well, yeah. I mean, it looks when you look at it first, well, you wouldn't have noticed. Then when you when you said it, it's crazy, isn't it? How your mind just goes, yeah, R2D2. You don't even think about it. Pete, you are entirely correct. The blue tops cards has the cockpit scene as well as the puzzles oh, on the reverse. I see it. I've got those. Hey, well well done, that man. My brain working in mysterious ways. These are the best jigsaws ever, 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 ever. Also for Star Wars, um, I assume these came after the movie scene images. There were another two jigsaws released, and these jigsaws are just fantastic. They're bigger. They're 350-piece puzzles, a bit more challenging. They come in quite big boxes, and they feature scenes of the action figures. It must be pretty much all of the action figure range that was out in the in, in the very early days. So you've got, uh, in, in terms of vehicles, you've got Darth Vader's TIE Fighter, you've got the X-Wing, you've got the Land Speeder, and then you've got most, if not all, of the first 12 figures in both of these jigsaws. And there's, there's two scenes. They're not actually named anywhere on the boxes, but for these purposes, I've called them Tatooine Homestead and the Jundland Wastes. Uh, Tatooine Homestead, you've got the Lars Homestead, that big domed building in the background. You've got evaporators. You've got the, uh, the, the, the desert backdrop. You've got a great big dark, blue image behind with the death star hovering um, in the uh, in, in the background the other picture what i've called jundland wastes this is more of a rocky canyony scene uh, so again you've got all the figures you've got the uh, the, the, the vehicles um, and lots of rocks lots of orangey gray yellowy rocks um which are incredibly difficult to put together as i found out not too long ago and a curious thing with this one there's a dewback up on the ridge now, that yeah, is not a Dewback toy, but it seems to have a Stormtrooper toy riding it. I, that's something the photographer, I think, has cobbled together. And I think what that probably is, is a cutout Dewback from a photograph. And somehow he's mounted a, either an action figure or a photograph of an action figure on it and make it look like it's riding it. Very cleverly done. You see, I, when I saw these images, I want you to tell me the story because what on earth is going on? Well, let's go back to the, the Homestead one because... The homestead one is ultra cool, simply because 
of the homestead props i mean they actually did release that set several years well about 19 about 2008 or something i've actually got that set behind me it's really cool you've got the evaporator and you've got the the dome you've got a bit of land and you've got the bench and owen and whatever but i think what's been happening here is the princess leah has uh has nicked r5d4 from the jowers and uh r2d2 and uh grassed her up and she's hidden hidden him away on the homestead and everyone's been chasing him and they've tracked her down and finally look i mean everyone's having a go at her everyone's pointing a weapon at old leah she's like what you been doing love you've been stealing robots again goodness sake you are kleptomaniac that's that's all that's all wrong pete that's all wrong (laughs) oh i this is clearly luke and ben are off to toshi station to pick up some power converters oh yeah leia is waving them goodbye then vader suddenly turns up with his with his stormtroopers and a fleet of ties and i think i do like the die cast ones as well great little ties up there but never fear because han and chewie arrive in the nick of time with their army of jowers and they've got R5-D4 uh, converted into a bomb. That's that's what's going on there. They're about to launch him into Vader and the uh, the Stormtroopers. 3PO and R2 know what's going on, and they're legging it. That's that's what's wow. going on in that scene. R5-D4 did become a bomb, didn't he, in, in the figure range and in the expanded universe? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you can get him to open up as a bomb, as Richard would tell us. He is an R5-D4 expert. And the what, Tuscan Raider is, is waving. He's, he's just watching. That's what they do, isn't it? What you're missing here is that there's the charred remains of uh, uh, Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru are, are behind the land speeder there. They're just not quite visible in the picture. Wonderful style of that. It's a good story, Andy. Uh, any other great stories of uh, woe in this picture? Or should we move on to the next one? Anyone's got another, another tale to tell? I have a tale to tell of the next one, Peter. I think oh, I've worked oh. out what's going on here. So mountain background image, which is just the best. But I, I want some theories on that explosion. What is going on here, Pete? So the Death Star has been destroyed. The Rebels have had their celebration. Everyone's got their medals except poor old Chewie. And they've come down to Tatooine to celebrate. R2-D2 has gone a bit haywire again. He thinks he's off on his mission. He's gone off to find Obi-Wan Kenobi. And he's headed off into the desert with C-3PO at his side this time. So the Rebels have all jumped in the land speeder. They've all piled in together. And they're heading off to look for R2. And they've just about caught up with him. And they're saying, oi, slow down, come back here. And then the Tuscan Raiders have all popped up. Oh, so uh, they, they've jumped up in the background. Darth Vader and the Stormtroopers have also piled in. Um, so Darth has uh, managed to escape from his crippled TIE fighter, and he's rounded up a posse of Stormtroopers, and they are trying to track down the Rebels because, of course, he's uh, he, he's very upset that they blew up his Death Star. He has tracked them down. So you've got Darth Vader tracking down the Tusken Raiders, the Tusken Raiders tracking down the Rebels, the Rebels tracking down the droids. Then in the background, in behind the land speeder, you've got R5-D4, the, uh, the, who now we know is actually a bomb, and he's actually just exploded. So uh, you, you've got it all going on there. That's good. I still think that uh, Darth is last in line to have a go on the Jubak. I think they're queuing up for a ride. I think they're having a great time. Uh, having a family outing because uh, it's a Skywalker family picnic. Uh, the Tuscans are, are there for dancing. They're dancing. They've got the light show going on in the background. They're having a lovely dance. City Rail is just about to do some body popping. But uh, Darth's still very upset that he has lasted line for a go on Alan the Jubak. And you see a little staunch at the top. He's obviously had his go on the, the Jubak and he's off. Offer a point. You're all completely wrong. It's obviously a game of musical chairs, and they all have to sit in a rock when the music stops. See, Pete, I'm I'm on a similar vein to you. I think that's a gig. So that bit, that light by yeah. uh, by oh, definitely sans people 
for those of you who remember Pan's people, they're dancers. This Very is good. stage. Um, and then we've got uh, Darth Crooks at the top. He's singing with the uh, the Stormtrooper backing band. And the uh, the Rebels have turned up to, to see the band. They are not impressed. And you can no, see well. that R2 and 3PO have made a very early exit. They're not liking this gig here. That's what's going on. It's a, it's a Tatooine concert. That music would vibrate in their metal heads, wouldn't it? Let's face it. And things would start falling out. I mean, you know. And, they, and they, to be fair, they are pretty boring people, aren't they, those two droids? They won't do parties. They just do espionage and beeping. I mean, that's what they do. The other thing, just before we move Ooh. on, Pete, is to point out these are obviously British jigsaws. Waddington's is a British company. And these are British toys. If you notice the Land Speeder and the X-Wings, they are the Palatoy variants. The oh. Land Speeder does not have the pop-up uh, bonnet or hood. The X-Wing does not have the light in the nose. So uh, we can tell these are photos that were done with Palatoy toys in the UK. Um, got no idea who took the photos. I assume it was Waddington's rather than Palatoy. My guess is that it was either done by somebody in-house at Waddington's or they commissioned it. Uh, but it's totally unlike any box art photography for Palatoy um, stuff, isn't it? So uh, brilliant. yeah, hat, hats off to whoever's done this. Those Star Wars jigsaws, certainly the four movie scene ones, they must have sold in truckloads because you find them all over mm. eBay and Facebook. Any given day, you can pick those up. Action figure ones are much, much harder to find. So uh, um, They're always missing they, pieces. I keep trying – I know I don't, I'm not really fit to my collection, but every time I go to find one, they're always – the guy will go, oh, yeah, I think it's complete. And you go, well, can you check? Just count the pieces. And then he comes back like a week later, oh, yeah, there's two pieces missing. It's like, oh, God's sake. That's very annoying, and it does affect oh. the value, doesn't it? Complete, yeah, it they does. go for thirty to forty pounds. Yeah, incomplete, fifteen. So yeah, makes a big, big difference. One or two pieces missing. Anyway, Waddington's must have had so much success selling all these truckloads of jigsaws that when the Empire Strikes Back came out, they must have thought, "Well, hey, let's go and make more jigsaws, or not?" No. No. I mean, we have talked about this on the podcast before, haven't we? Sequelitis. People think the sequel is going to be a poor imitation, not so well supported, not so well uh, liked by the general public. So a lot of retailers, a lot of the uh, manufacturers did not pick up on the Empire Strikes Back for product. And I suspect that was the case with Waddington's. Um, so there was nothing released in terms of uh, jigsaws in the UK. Those two jigsaws are so, I mean, yes, they're very Star Warsy, but they're so good that you wouldn't, you know, you could easily flog those through Empire Strikes Back because you've got all your heroes on the front. So, you know. You could indeed. You're absolutely right. So moving on to Return of the Jedi. And uh, yeah, Waddington's came back with a bang. They had four jigsaws released for uh, Return of the Jedi. Um, and very similar to the movie scene releases for Star Wars. Um, so you've got four individual puzzles, uh, 150 pieces each. Uh, but this time there is a super print included in the box 43 by 27 centimeters 17 by 11 inches it's exactly the same print as you get with the main jigsaw image four different ones you've got luke in jabba's palace pointing his blaster you've got darth vader in the death star hangar pointing his finger a lot of pointing going on in these isn't there uh, you've got the heroes in the cockpit of the imperial shuttle so you've got Chewie and leia and luke and han and the droids in the background and then you've got a nice one of uh, jabba the hut himself sat on his throne with ula the dancing girl sat in front of him so those are the four puzzles for return of the jedi pete that one with luke 
uh, Jedi with his gun. I love that image. I, I, I don't see that one too often. I might have to. I, I really do like it because it's got the Klaatu behind him with his hands about to grab him, and you've got Greek. I mean, we've we've seen that image. That was on one of the lunch boxes, wasn't it? A drawn version of that image. I think the, it was. The, Isn't that the was, same image on the Luke Jedi card back? Um, or very similar to it. Yeah, I think so. But I just love that. It's just a great image. I wouldn't mind the poster, but I might have to. I might have to eBay that when when Jason's talking later. Uh, but it is. It's a great image. Just it's just monsters. You see, if I'd have seen that as a kid, I would have probably been up for that. But like I said, I didn't like Jigsaw. Don't care. But now I look at it and just thinking, what a great shot. Luke looks brilliant. You know, his eyes are wide. He looks alert. He's got his gun ready. And then you got a Klaatu. And you got a little Greedo in the background. You got a Gamorrean guard looking quite sinister. But his hand, remember we talked about his hands when we talked about the lunchboxes. And we said, what on earth did the artist do with his hands? With the Gamorrean guard's hands? And he is, his fingers, look at him all over the place. He's got one inside the other, another outside the other. That's absolutely all, yeah, what a bizarre image. Yeah, but, he's got yeah. Great, great big sausage fingers, hasn't he? Yeah, but they're all twisted and all over the place. Obviously, his costume was wobbling at the time. But yeah, lovely image. Lovely little roundup, actually. I mean, was that it? Was that really it? That was it for Jedi, yeah. I mean, one other thing to to mention. I have got in my collection the 1984 Wellington's Trade Catalogue. Um, so on, uh, on on the back cover, you've got the Return of the Jedi jigsaws, along with four lovely Masters of the Universe jigsaws. And the strapline order the most exciting jigsaws in the universe now. I mean, hey, it doesn't get much more exciting than well, this, does it? You're told to do it. You've got to do it, you? Come on, let's finish off with these blooming Ewok things. Come on. These Ewoks. Okay, Ewoks. There were four Ewoks jigsaws. Very similar again to the Jedi ones. 150 pieces. Again, a super print inside. They're not actually named on the front. So these are names that I've come up with. Uh, but there is a waterhole jigsaw, a sleigh ride jigsaw, an Ewok band jigsaw and a classroom jigsaw uh, all featuring those lovable cuddly creatures uh, i'm sure rich has got all four of these he must love these of course he has probably got them signed as i tell you what on the uh, on the, the lesson one there's a wonderful little ewok little white ewok behind the main teacher whoever that is and uh looking really quite fierce it's quite funny um there's an Ewok sleeping in the, inside the log, but there's this little Ewok, and he looks like he's about to tear that guy's head off. He does uh, look quite fierce, doesn't he? It's a fierce little bugger. I tell you what. There's one in every class, isn't there? Have you got any of these? I have got all four of these. Yes. I want you to scan that in. That that little that little evil Ewok. It's just so funny. I'll do that for you. Please, yes. And of course, we've got um, a sled ride. We've got Bagger, my favourite uh, horse-related Ewok. Right now, Andy, there was a bit of a an odd one. That I don't know whether you this is why you suggested we do Wellingtons or it just came up as one of those weird things that always seems to happen. So uh, this was it this week, wasn't it? Um, that something interesting came up on one of the Facebook groups. It did, yes, Pete. There must have been balance in the force. Um, so these these were shown on I think it was the displays and advertising group first, which was a bit of an odd place for it, but then uh, also shared on uh, Beyond the Toys. And uh, this was something that uh, Todd Chamberlain had yes. found. Um, actually, I say found. He bought them a long time ago, but he was just sharing them as, uh, as, as cool things from his collection, which Todd likes to do from time to time. And uh, we're very grateful for it because he's got some fantastic stuff. Yeah. Uh, but these are proof sheets for the Star Wars puzzles. And he's got some for the movie scene puzzles. And he's also got some for the action figure um, puzzles. 
And he says, uh, these were a bit of a holy grail item at the time I bought these about 15 years ago. Sansweet's concept to screen to collectible book in 1993. Uh, that was the first time that I had considered the idea of collecting prototypes for Star Wars items. Not long after, I came across these puzzles for the first time and contemplated how cool it would be to have prototypes of some kind for them. I really liked early puzzles and other toy items, and I liked figure dioramas, but it seemed so unlikely. Sometime around 2004, separate lots for the two different series of Waddington Star Wars puzzles came up on eBay from someone who'd worked there and got them when they cleared out old projects. I really sweated it waiting for these auctions to close. I was in Mexico with a bunch of other collectors for a Star Wars convention. and was super worried my snipe wouldn't process. So what he's got um, for the four movie scene puzzles, he's got quite a number of proof sheets. Um, there's one full color, and then he's got the different um, chroma key color layers. He's got black and white ones. He's got negatives. They each measure 25 by 37 inches, uh, all four puzzles on the same sheet. And what's really cool is that they've got handwritten annotation. Fortunately, the way Facebook compresses photos, it's very difficult to read a lot of these. The one that does stand out clearly is on the one of the droids in the desert, which actually is reproduced back to front. The, the image is reversed here, and it does say, written on it in big capitals, this image needs to be reversed. The two action figure puzzles, again, he's got quite a number of different sheets with negatives and chroma key layers and things. These ones a little bit bigger, measuring 33 by 39 inches, various different different shots again of the, the the puzzles and the box lids very very cool stuff and uh, yeah i'm i'm not jealous at all honest <laughs> well i think they need to be reappropriated to be brought back to our insular island now after brexit we need to reclaim all our stuff so uh todd if you're listening i think you need to send it back to britain uh, Andy will look after it for you so the the only other thing we need to mention pete is top trumps top trumps top trumps top tr- all- also by Waddington's. Now, I'm not sure of the precise date of these, but it was 80s because I know I had them as a kid. Top Trumps is, I, I don't know whether top, top Trumps gone beyond these shores in the UK. I don't know. Top Trumps is a trading card game. Um, so you can get Top Trumps for all sorts of things. There must be hundreds and hundreds. You can get cars and planes and pop stars and God knows what else. But there was a spacecraft range released in the 80s. And it had various um, different things. There were fictional spacecraft. There were real spacecraft, um, sort of moon landing things and and so on. But uh, there were four cards with images from Star Wars. Of these four cards, there were images of the Death Star and Vader's TIE Fighter and a Star Destroyer and an X-Wing. But it's it's, it's the names and the descriptions of these that are really curious. So the Death Star is called the Death Star. The Star Destroyer is called the Imperial Space Cruiser. But then the other ones, the X-Wing is a Yavin Interceptor. And Darth Vader's TIE Fighter, which is actually pictured upside down, is a Racing Falcon. Yes. Now, how odd is that? That is, that is kind of random. I didn't, I, I didn't, I can remember having things like top trumps as a kid. We used to love them. We used to, they're the best thing to have in the back of the car when you're going on a long journey because, you know, you could beat each other up as well. You could punch each other. You know, what's the length of your ship? Oh, ha ha ha, mine's four kilometers longer than yours. And then punch your brother. It's great fun. Or get well, punched in the face. Lots of cheating going on, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. you used to, used, to, used to love top trumps when I was a kid. It's great. But, uh, yeah. So that, there we go. That is the last vintage Waddington's connection. 
Mm. Yeah, because Top Choice is Audible, isn't it? It's one of those things you would, you would think that would be everywhere. But I think I'm sure I remember reading about this. Um, I think I think I got a book on Top Trumps. I've got a fee, and it's like, oh yeah, it's a real British uh, brand. And then they kind of started to slowly, you know, as the as these kind of things became more famous. Especially, I think it was football that started to get it get it you know around the world and they started to do it you know a bit more of a worldwide brand but um yeah it's a bit, bit of an odd one that because you'd have thought it'd been a really easy game to reproduce anywhere really because you're just changing the text a little bit you know um very very odd but uh yeah very fond memories of top just didn't realize there was some star wars stuff somewhere that's pretty cool yeah it's a it's a bit obscure but you you can pick these up on ebay as i say it's not branded star wars at all and i doubt very yeah. much that they had the license to use these images um because they're not referred to as star wars images at all but uh, uh, yeah it's a spacecraft pack <laughs> generic spaceships mm. yeah not sure about there's one that says one that says uh, ufos i'm not sure that's a real star wars thing, but there we go right is that it is are we finished that's your lot excellent right guys that was a lovely little roundup lovely lovely short and sweet that's how we like them but uh, if anyone's got nothing else to add we'll leave it there and do another one next month Part of his chief toy designer between 1967 and 1984, Bob Breakin. Oxford United or Oxford City? Well, I played for Oxford City. Uh-huh. I played for their under 18 team and we played Arsenal in the FA Youth Cup. We got beat 9 0. Actually, that's not bad. We played at Highbury. Wow, that's better than any toys. <laughs> yeah, stop the toys. Stop. Let's just talk football instead. And I was playing for the youth, for the uh, reserve team as well. But then I went off to college. Wow. But it's changed a lot since then. Oxford City have got a right nice little complex going on now. Yeah, well, they're doing quite well in that uh, yeah. little league. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they're doing well. Cardboard or plastic? What do you mean, cardboard or plastic? Cardboard or plastic? Do you prefer cardboard? Or do you prefer plastic? Plastic, I suppose. There we go. Star Wars or Action Man? Well, it's got to be action, man, isn't it? Ooh, let's get rid of him now. Let's, let's knock him <laughs> off.
<laughs> Favourite Star Wars film? Well, it's got to be the first one, isn't it? Oh, sensible. Good answer, man, good man. Well, I, I, I got I got some special tickets for that before it came out on general release. So I went down to uh, that one on Tottenham Court Road. Is it Dominion, is it? I got there early and got the best seat in the house, sort of two-thirds back right in the middle. And when it, and when it came over, you know, the, the spaceship and all the writing just blew my mind. <laughs> it's got to be the first film, but I thought The Empire Strikes Back was probably better as a film. Favourite Star Wars figure? Don't know. Come uh, on. You can't not well, answer that. I think we'll go for the Stormtrooper. When we did the uh, May the Toys Be With You at Colville in the old Palitoy factory, we sent this... That's the only figure I've got is the Stormtrooper. So we send him up into space in the in a, a weather balloon. These weather balloons will go up and then explode at about 11 miles up. <laughs> I still got that uh, figure with a little uh, with a little uh, thingy with it, you know, saying what happened to him. <laughs> is he in one piece? He's all in one piece, yeah. <laughs> That's incredible. Right, Ewoks or Wookies? Ewoks. Oh, Ewoks. Any reason? Just Ewoks. Well, I think they're fun, aren't they? This could be relevant for the next question. Right, if there was a, a war, who'd win? Tiny Tears or Care Bears? Flipping heck. You ask some questions, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and any reason why? Tiny Tears. Yes. Oh, I can't believe we've got the Tiny Tears. Poor Care Bears. Never get just Right, favourite tool you were involved with? Well, it's got to be the Robo Skull. He's, gone. He's not gone Star Wars again, Andy, I told you. <laughs> right, fa- right, a favourite invention you wish you'd invented? Oh, dear me. That's a difficult one. I've got to think about that one. Um, it's all about thinking. Vaccines, how about that? Vaccines, that's a good one. Be a rich man at the moment. Right, and finally, the final rapid fire question is, right, your house on fire, the wife, kids, cats, they're all safe. You, you've got to grab one thing. What is it? What would I grab? I'm going to grab... A little dish that I brought back from Switzerland when I was at school and I went skiing at school to give to my mum. Ah, What's on the dish? Anything interesting? It, it's, a, it's a picture of a castle in a place called Sargans. That's nice. That's a nice little thing. Right, that's it. That's the pain over, Bob. That's the pain over. <laughs> So, Rich, on to the outro. Well, yeah, I've got to say that we've had an explosion of feedback um, over the last month, maybe six weeks, and especially down to some of the promotion that Chris Portis has been doing on social media, in particular on our YouTube channel. We've got lots and lots of comments on some of the videos that Chris has been stitching together and putting up there, but also on Instagram. So I'm going to start off with one um, which I think this is from Instagram and it's by uh, Rui Lopez I think it's Q86 it's hard to see nice to hear an interview actually start by focusing on J.W. Rinsler himself and his childhood to give context to his career in my opinion the reason for the special editions aside from drumming up interest in Star Wars again prior to the prequel release or to give another generation the theoretical experience of the movies was Lucas wanting to test out the technology before the prequels it would be hard to justify the cost of that exercise without releasing them also. Having to show effect shots in the OT and cleaning up the footage also makes them match up better with the PT. 
We also saw the same thing with the populace now in Blade Runner, where with trouble production and studio interference with the directors repeatedly reworked the piece once they had the power to do so. I suppose this is the difference between creator and audience. Lucas felt like he actually had something close to his original vision, where the audience felt like the originals were everything they were supposed to be. Paul Duncan said something along those lines, that fans of the OT want to watch how they remember it being high quality colour contrast detail but unaltered, whereas the original quality upon release in theatres didn't look that good by modern standards, it's an idealised memory, not reality. It'll be interesting to hear what Marcia has to say. I think some people exaggerate the part she played in the movies because they think the prequels were supposed to be like the OT and Lucas just didn't know how to do it. So they come to the conclusion that everyone else saved Lucas's movies for him. They actually don't understand that he isn't telling the story through dialogue and characterization, but visually. When you look at it from the perspective of episode order, it starts out with the fall of Republic, rise of an empire, and concludes with the father and son, from the abstract to the personal and specific. It's an incredibly ambitious and profound conversation on symbiosis, anthropology, and psychology for children and adults to learn from. And, you know, that that's an absolutely fair point. You know, it's absolutely fair point. It was a fantastic comment on that. I'm really, really glad that you enjoyed the GW Rinsler interview. I have to say that I agree with you a lot of your points in there. Um, and yes, there's certainly been a lot of criticism of George and his tinkering and tweaking and, you know, what what his reality Star Wars is probably not the same as what ours was when we watched it when we were, you know, much younger. Comments on the Takara Star Wars products. Um, I think this is one on YouTube from the Black Doe Ewoks. Really great video, very interesting sort of topic, great overview, very comprehensive. Once again, thank you for your comments there. Right, over on Facebook, we've had, um, you know, special thanks once again to all the guys like Jeff Tilly and Dave Moore who often post um, messages on, on for Swash Cargill as well. Um, so there was lots and lots of love for Mark Cowan's collection, um, especially from um, the Dutch listeners and hopefully some of those who've stayed on listening to this episode. But uh, yeah, lots and lots of comments on there. David Reader, opening three minutes needs a warning, my ears. Um, yeah, apologies, David. We didn't realise that Andy Spoons was such a bad singer. Uh, his timing was out a lot compared to the rest of us. Uh, great interview. Top work, guys. Thank you very much, David. Jeff Tilly on Facebook, Action Mechanic Robots. Uh, Japanese cartoons henchmen were called robots to lessen the impact of them dying. I never knew that. Thank you very much for that, Jeff. That makes absolute sense. You enjoyed listening to the whole episode, no pun intended. Well, you're going to hear some more about holes tonight uh, because Jason hasn't managed to shut his hole yet. He enjoyed the quiz, especially every time Pete said it's in the book. <laughs> Uh, Dave wanted to pick the Jason's Fun Products poster, uh, loving your work and keep it up, so uh, Jason, hopefully you've responded to Dave Moore and sent him a pic of your Fun Products poster. I did. Yep, brilliant. Uh, Ross Cargill, can't imagine Kenneth Williams narrating a Star Wars audiobook. No, <laughs> Ross, I can't, he's certainly got an unusual accent, um, one that you know, sticks out. Jeff Johnson, always look forward to new episodes. Well, thank you very much, Jeff. Um, 22nd of February now, so we haven't got much time to get this one recorded, uh, edited and out, but we'll do our best to get that out soon. Thank you to everybody who leaves us feedback, whether that's on Stars from UK, whether it's on social media, whether it's on um, email or anything. We, re- we read them all and uh, we're finding it difficult to respond to every single one, but we do our best. 
we're going to take a little break from YouTube for the moment because Chris Porteous, our social media guy, he's actually moving house this month. Um, so that makes two of us, actually. Um, so he's moving house, so we're going to be a little bit behind on YouTube. So we might have to do some catching up later on. If anybody wants to leave us any feedback, you can email us at swtvrpodcast.gmail.com, such as the guy who emailed me, whose name escapes me, wanting a copy of a video that we did about seven years ago. <laughs> so I was a real surprise, um, a blast for the past from the Palatoid Tem capsule for the Vinyl Cave Joe I got uh, called up, and I forgot I made that video, and uh, I had to set it private for various reasons. Um, so hopefully you've got that copy of the video now, and I hope you enjoy it. You can search Vintage Rebellion on all social media, um, or by all means, you know, contact any one of us on social media, but all easily found. A huge thanks to Bob Regan, our main interview guest this month um, from the Palatoy Valley. It's always interesting hearing uh, Bob and his role in bringing Star Wars to the UK market cannot be underestimated. Alright guys, we've had a fantastic show this month. There seems to be a lot of lot of top quality research and a lot of top quality um, items that were picked out this month. I'm, I'm really pleased with this episode. Um, so without much further off of me, it's bye-bye from Pete. Remember, send us your offers for Vintage Rebellion Swap Shop. It's goodbye from Jason. Thanks everyone, see you next time. It's goodbye from Andy Spoons. See you next month on our own special Muppet Show. It's goodbye from Andy Preston. Cheers, Rich. Stay safe, everybody. May the force be with you. And it's a later, guys, from me. And remember... Only you can decide with Star Wars toys. This podcast is not endorsed by Disney, Lucasfilm Limited, 20th Century Fox, or anybody who cares about the Star Wars franchise. It is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The official Star Wars website can be found at www.starwars.com. All names and sounds of Star Wars are registered trademarks of Lucasfilm Limited and other associated copyright holders. All of the original content of this podcast are the intellectual property rights of the Vintage Rebellion. If you enjoyed this podcast, then feel free to email swtvrpodcast at gmail.com. If you don't enjoy this podcast, tough. Are Star Wars products going to have the durability of, say, that old favourite, the teddy bear? Teddy! How's your hold, Jason? Got a very large painting in front of it now. Good evening. Jason's hold. How are we doing, guys? All right. We're just talking about Jason's hole. <laughs> Is it getting any bigger? I've already, I've already posted you the picture with a big painting in front of it. So. Are you not going to fix your hole? We're just going to leave it. Well, I can't really fix my hole in lockdown because it's not really a life-threatening thing. Of course so. you can. But Get I think, it fixed. I think it needs a whole kind of section of the wall taken out and a new bit of plaster put in, which. Yeah, and it's not beyond my pay grade as far as DIY goes. Not a good plan getting tradesmen in during lockdown. Back in, oh, I don't know, September odd, we decided it was a good idea to get a new kitchen. And uh, other guys in during January. Now, they they were fine. Kitchen fitters were OK. It was a tiler who'd come in and then phoned me a couple of days later and said, I've tested positive. <laughs> so, we, we, so we were in lockdown for 10 days, but uh, no symptoms, thank God.
<laughs> that old story. Oh dear. Yes. Yeah, I've been getting well, texts. Right, well, one of my friends had um, they had a family over for Christmas, and of course the kid of the other family had COVID. Everybody in the house got COVID. It's just like. Oh, there's a a nice Christmas gift for you. Yeah, happy COVID. Anyway, it's all going to be over by June, according to Boris. (laughs) That's it, yeah. Has anybody spoken to Dave Tree? Summer farthest from. (laughs) Yeah, you can rent. Just start renting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You could have some amazing things. Mm -hmm. Exactly. You could have another jacket like Anders. You could go around as brothers in matching jackets. You could start from Prop Store, mate. Yeah, you're kidding, I'd be walking around seeing everybody you see me short at that. Too fast. Right. Yeah. Rebel, Rebel Brief Richard. Right, let's get to the top. Right. Um, everyone, who's shoveling smarters into their face? No, that's me. I've got one of those uh, metal pin things which you can put your face onto. I was trying to do a different <laughs> I was not expecting that, as an How <laughs> random is that? That's the outtake done. Thank you. During the Bob Break interview, I kept him to, to mute Jason. Jason, can you take a photo of your face in that for the show? Yeah, yeah. I used to have one of those. They're great fun, but. 